Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone. Welcome back to Forgotten Feminists. Um, today, our wonderful guest is Wasila. Wasila, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, so as you guys read in the bio, um, Wasila grew up partially in Yemen and in Austria, and she's going to talk to us about her experience um, going through that, jumping between the two cultures, and then she'll tell us about all, all the way up to today and how, how she got to the point where she is sitting here so gloriously and glamorously today sharing her story with us. I'm so, so grateful. Thank you so much. So tell us, tell us from the beginning, Wasila, tell us about your childhood um, growing up between the two countries. Okay, um, so yeah, as you said, I grew up between Yemen and Austria. Um, I was born in Yemen, though. Um, I come from a middle-class family, educated family. Um, most of them are doctors, architects, professors, teachers. So this is not the usual and very common family in, in Yemen, like if you go and see the society. So um, um, also double moral, hypocrite. It's all in one package. So it, um, I um, left Yemen when I was five years old with my parents to Austria. My parents, uh, my dad got a scholarship for medical medical studies. So we left with him. And um, yeah, I studied there. Uh, well, I went to school. I went to kindergarten until third grade. And uh, my life was like any child growing up. Um, in Austria, my parents were, my dad was pretty busy with his studies. He was, um, you know, medical school, <laughs> you're an expert. And my mom was a housewife. And uh, yeah, she raised us as she knew how to raise little kids. She was very young when they married. My dad was 18. My mom was 17. Mm -hmm. So when I was born, like, nine months after the wedding, <laughs> like a lot of uh, uh, families in Yemen. My dad was in military service after, um, after high school. They have to go to military service. And then after that, he saw me when I was already two. So, um, yes. And then, yeah, we lived together until five. And then we all left to Austria. And, yeah, after third grade, it was the time when the Iraq-Iran war happened mm. and um, Yemen was pro-Iraq, Iraq, I guess. Yes. So um, the scholarship of my dad stopped because it was funded by the Saudi regime. Mm. Saudi Arabia took care of Yemen since then and from all the scholars. Well, it had a political agenda behind it, but still. So uh, financially, we were not doing very well. So and plus that my parents did not really love each other or had um, any common. My dad was a or is a very open minded uh, person, very free. And my mom is exactly the opposite. Mm -hmm. So you can see the differences at home, the way she talked to me, the way he talked to me. I didn't realize before I was five years old. I don't really remember. I just remember the good memories, let's say. So in Austria, um, as you can imagine, I was in school. I was doing music, ballet. I was doing trips, things that kids do. So uh, when that happened, when the financial situation and the relationship between my parents got tensed, uh, they decided to separate. 
And uh, my mom was like, okay, I can't live here, like alone with the kids. I will move back to Yemen, to her family. And that's when the mm. party began. <laughs> mm. So I went back to Yemen in summer and I never wrote Arabic or read Arabic. So they, well, my aunt and my uncle, they sat with me every day teaching me how to write and read Quran, mm. like exa- exactly like immediately to the top, top Arabic where it's mm-hmm. like learning English For Shakespeare time. before you learn. Exactly. And uh, because my family was educated and they had this reputation, I had to be perfect and I had to be good and I had to be, I w- they did not allow me to repeat the, th- the, the second grade. They were like, no, you will go to the third grade. So imagine the pressure on, on me. I stopped all the activities that I used to do in, in Austria, mm-hmm. ballet, music, like what? Horse riding, what? Uh, uh, bicycle, no, you're going to lose your virginity. All this ideas so I used to hear this when Mm. I was nine or yeah eight or nine years old um exactly so that was a very awful summer because I wasn't allowed to play a lot with the kids because I had to study I had to learn I had to write and it was very very strict and uh, I did that and I actually made it to go to the third grade like all the students who were already in Yemen in school, I was faced with a teacher who wore the niqab. Mm. And for me as a child, like, Scary. where are the boys? Why, where are the boys? Why, why am I in a school girl? That was like the mm. first question. And the teacher was like, because it's haram. And I didn't even understand the word haram by that age because nobody forced me at home. Yeah. You oh, so you were, I just wanted to clarify, you said you're in an all girls school. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Go on. Um, yeah. So that was the first shock. The teacher was with Borco. I couldn't see her expressions. I couldn't see. She's mad at me. She's happy with me. Why? Doing... Why is she covering her face if it's an all-girls school? Yes. Exactly. Good question. Because there are teachers, men, like male oh my teachers. Gosh. But yeah. there were like really few. Maybe we had one Quran guy with a big beard that scared the hell out of me when I saw him the first mm-hmm. time. He was a nice teacher, but he was scary for me. And I didn't mm-hmm. really have friends or couldn't really relate to any of the school girls. So I was mm-hmm. a lonely, quiet, introvert. Yeah, shocked girl, let's say. Yeah. I did not express this, of course, to my family by that age. I did not. I didn't even understand what's happening. So I was just following, following, following. And everyone mm-hmm. is doing it. Your cousins are doing it. The neighbors are doing it. And I was like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Let's see what's, what's this. And then shortly after, as I told you previously, I got the lice in my hair because I don't know how, because I did not wear the hijab immediately in that school mm-hmm. because there were like some girls putting a half hijab, some girls that were like young first graders. And I was in the third grade, let's say 80% of my class wore the hijab. But then it was exactly the time when the Salafi uh, fundamental, how do you call them, fundamentalists and the brotherhood, they started putting influence in the politics, in the country, in the society. If you look back, like really, really before 60s, 50s, Yemen was actually primitive. Like people used to party together, eat together. They, we did, we even had TV shows where they danced together, like showing traditional dances. This yeah, is last week. Yes, exactly. And then 
five years later, or maybe like really short time, yeah. the whole Yemen society changed. It was like a cancer, really. Yeah. So our school, they then, um, it was after the half midterm, because I remember exactly that day, I was wearing a very nice dress. I was like, oh, I'm going to show my new dress after new term. So I was stopped at school, like, uh, okay, from today, we are starting to wear the hijab. And I was like, mm, why? My mom didn't tell me. So, and then they let me do it. I don't, I mean, they let me not wear it until I got the lice in my mm. hair. And that was the reason where my mom and my aunts, they all gathered. They were like, oh my God, we're going to cut your hair. We're going to shave your hair. And I, I had really long hair and, you know, girls with their hair. And <laughs> so all this beautiful, yeah, let's say childhood, it was covered up to save me from the lies at the same time, because we had to follow also the rules put for all the schools that all girls have to wear the hijab, no matter which grade, unless it's a private school owned by someone who is in a good relationship with the politics or so it's, it's a mess. (laughs) Anyways, um, I wore the hijab and it was I hated it. I hated it. Yeah. It was, we used to, we had to put this needle here oh, and it used yeah. to the whole yep. time. And I was yep. I don't know even how to wear it. It's hurting me. Yep. <laughs> and then uh, I had another uh, style of a hijab where you wear like, like a capi and then you wear something over it. So you cover your chest and your breast mm-hmm. and it didn't even have breasts. I was like a tiny skinny girl. <sighs> um, yeah. So that was school. And then I was asking the teachers, like, are we doing sports or something? Like, nope. What sports? What? No, this is just for the boys. And that's when my, when I started, like, really getting more and more um, introvert into myself. I started yeah. just watching and listening. I didn't speak a lot. I didn't talk a lot. I had, like, some eating disorder. Maybe I didn't want to eat a lot. People mm. were really, I don't know if that has, I think now I can relate it to, to the psychological process that I was going through. So I was rejecting everything and I couldn't do anything. So um, you're, that's it. You're a child. You're alone. You're going to follow the lead. Follow. You have no choice. Yeah. And my family, yeah, let's say my mom, mm, she wasn't that one who you could like really open your heart and talk to her really honestly. She always, because her herself, she was raised up in that way. Although the family is educated and the, the male uh, from the family, the male members, they, they were allowed to go to the States for studies. My uncle studied in USA. The other one studied in Lebanon. My dad studied in Austria, but the women not. So the women, mm-hmm. my aunts were still at home studying at home going to university at home but then with time I was like why are they even studying why are they even going to college because at the end I realized they do this they come home they had to clean to cook to serve Mm -hmm. there was no no equality in the in the uh, responsibilities at home um well after that uh, I realized like I'm being discriminated as a girl because whenever we invite people, we leave the men eat first. Yep. Mm-hmm. I and hate this part. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I didn't know. That. Yeah. And then, and they, they had the fancy stuff yeah. and we had like leftovers. And, and whenever I asked, they were like, don't, why do you ask? They were like the woman I asked, my aunts, they 
they didn't understand, they didn't know, but at the same time, they were scared of questioning it. And when a little mm-hmm. girl with 10, and then I was growing, of course, at that time, I was already 11, maybe, and starting to really talk. Nobody gave me a realistic answer. Nobody gave me what is happening? Why? Why is this? What? What's? What's? Just to to describe for the for the listeners, because although I understood what you were about to say, not everybody here is familiar with that. Just like when we talk about the gender segregation and we talk about, you know, women being subordinate and second class and everything. So now the, for you to describe for us what a, a, a meal would be like, like if you have guests over or something, then it's just like the nuts and bolts, like the real practical, let people understand what it's like you know, so you started to talk, you said, like, they get the nice table and the nice dishes or the, you know, the mashi that didn't break yes. or something like that. Like you put the, the, the... <laughs> so that's like stuffed. If you have like stuffed zucchini or yes. stuffed uh, grape leaves or something like that, the ones that like look the nicest that didn't, that didn't, that the rice didn't burst them or anything, you put those on the plate for the men. And then the men just sit there. They just drink tea or whatever. Yeah, go ahead. They, so you they describe didn't, it. They didn't even, for me, it was the inequality. In, they didn't even buy the food. My aunts mm-hmm. and me, I used to also mm-hmm. shop for grocery. Like the little kids, they used to send us to the supermarket. You go get the chicken. You go get the veg- veggies. The woman cooked hours and hours. And you know how mm-hmm. delicious the food is down there. Mm-hmm. And they did not do anything. Men just came arrogant to the kitchen and what did you do mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh-huh and then they even criticize oh you burned that oh it smells doesn't taste like my mom and all this bullshit mm-hmm. and then they get the better meat you know mm-hmm. the parts of them <laughs> i'm vegetarian now i don't care but when i was a child mm-hmm. I was like this is madness mm-hmm. and then you could see like in the afternoon um they would go and you know they would leave and the woman would eat and then all the activities women and then the women cook. clean up after they're finished yes, eating of course of mm-hmm. course Cleaning, cleaning is a big um, issue. Um, yes, and then um, we would only stay visiting home to home, visiting home to home. So I was mm-hmm, always mm-hmm. in homes. Yeah. We did not go out like for a walk or just, I don't know, to the entertainment park. Like it was only in Eid, in, in the festival after Ramadan to celebrate for the kids. But once you're a big girl, which means you're already going into a period, oh, you're, mm. then, then you're not supposed to go with the kids anymore. So we're talking here between five years old and eight. After nine, ten, maybe if it doesn't show some femininity in you with ten, yes, they would take you with them out. But mm. after that, no. So you turn automatically with the age of 11 to 12, 13 into a woman and you don't really understand womanhood womanhood by then because for me personally I your child I was the I was the last one who got her period in the family so I was turned into a woman even before I was a real let's say beginning mm-hmm. of the woman so um, my cousins they all got it with like 10 years old maybe 11 like really early the whole I don't know some genetic stuff I got yeah, it women I women uh, get their period faster in the desert in the Middle it's, East, yes. it's the heat <laughs> I guess they cook faster <laughs> they cook faster everything goes faster and I was like late so I realized like my cousins that I used to play with and my friends in school that I have made they they already started like wearing either the niqab 
because they had to save their beautiful skin from the sun because in the future they will have a husband who doesn't want them to be dark my god we come from yemen we're all dark <laughs> what do you want like this preferences we have to be white we have to be blonde we have to be like my hair i could never leave my hair like this in yemen i would get like oh my god you let your curls you have to straighten your hair you have to be this like my family was kind of freak about this beauty and and raising you to be a wife not 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 just love yourself as in self-love like oh do this mask no do this mask to impress the husband in the future to impress the woman who will see you in that house so maybe she would choose you for her child and you start getting um busy with these subjects with 11 with 12 and you i i forgot all my hobbies i used to draw what i started drawing later then but um that killed me really that felt i felt like so lost so confused Um, am i a child am i a woman am i a wife am i what am i the turning point was when i was 13 and i visited my dad after a long time in austria so he used to come and visit us and leave like for a short period of times i went to austria and i was like "Mm, do i wear the hijab because you know i'm wearing it all this time and my dad was like you do you whatever you want if you think the hijab is okay you do it if you don't you can bring it with you and see so he didn't want to tell me no fucking mm-hmm. way you're not taking this because then you're gonna you tell your mom baba said i yes. don't have to wear it yes exactly <laughs> so i i took it i really took it with me i was like hesitating and i wore it in the in the airplane and we had a transit in jordan i landed in jordan and i saw a lot of girls my age without it i was like Mm. Off. <laughs> so I was like, okay, that gave me a little bit of assurance, some security. Now I come to Austria and I see all these teenagers with the different styles, different haircut, boyfriends, cigarettes. I mean, it's not healthy, but still in that age, like, mm. I want to be cool. Mm. Um, Did you I was allowed remember? to smoke shisha though. <laughs> in Yemen I was about I was allowed to to smoke shisha but cigarettes was really bad reputation women would hold a cigarette you know like only prostitutes would only a prostitute would hold a cigarette if she's a woman but men no problem they can smoke even if they're six anyways um yes so in Austria was like the really turning point after that summer everything changed I was like hell no these girls are my age and I really want to be like them. I felt like something was stolen from me. Mm. And that's when the fights began. That's when I turned from this quiet girl who didn't talk, who was like following the rules. Who... I came back from Austria. I came without the hijab. My mom was so shocked in the airport. She covered me <laughs> with her jacket. She had like a little jacket. She was like, what are you doing? <laughs> um and now I laugh about it of course at that time I really traumatized and um it's funny it's like you're naked or something (laughs) like like you're topless (laughs) what a quick cover yes cover it cover it your hair Mm -hmm. um yeah so I started rebelling I started changing my beliefs I started questioning I never had the good answers I never I always got like no just follow no what are you doing uh at some point my mom started threatening like you would never go to austria again 
Oh. And then I was like, well, I'm Austrian. I could go anytime because then I started knowing my rights. I was Austrian. I wasn't, I, I was holding the Austrian passport, mm-hmm. but I was living in Yemen. Mm-hmm. And uh, my dad did a good job in that summer to really like swim, learn to swim, learn to ride the bike with 13. Do you know how embarrassing mm-hmm. that was for me? Mm-hmm. Like to, to, like he's teaching me and other people are looking at me in the streets and I'm like, oh my God. But I was like, no, I want to do it. I want to relive what I lost. And I, those two months were like the best two months of my life. And the, the, the two months that really changed a lot in me. That was like the, the first change, let's say. Um, yeah, so I was then when I came back to him and I was like, okay, I can't really force everything now. I can't really take off the hijab and be like, okay, because I still live under that pressure. I still have a lot of people who would go and complain at my moms and my aunts and everyone is talking and reputation, all that bullshit. Mm -hmm. So I had to do it the Arabic way to lie, to hide, to be a hypocrite, to have a double moral, um, not being yourself, all this, all this package. I became this girl. It bothered me. I felt like I'm lying. I, mm-hmm. I don't want to lie. And I'm not doing anything. I just want to have fun. I just want to live. That's why I'm not even stealing or I'm not killing someone. I'm not uh, abusing someone. I'm, I'm not doing anything. I just want to live like those girls I saw. I just want to live my teenagehood. I just want to experience these hormones happening in my body. What am I going to do with that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. Um. I remember there was a cousin who lived with us in the house of my mom's family in Yemen. It's like uh, if a family is living in the city and they have a, a member who's living, who lives in, in the village and he wants to study or he wants to go to university. So the family would tell him, come and live with us. Right. So when I came to from Austria the year after, and then, th- then it was like an always thing. It was like every summer I would go to Austria to my dad. And in the year I would stay in Yemen and study. So Three months, two months, being a free woman, having my life and eight months, nine months of the year, I'm covered, I'm lying, I'm hiding my real feelings toward everything that I study in school, uh, that I hear in the mosque by dissing everyone who is not Muslim and mm-hmm. hearing all this, this, oh God, punish these people. Why? They're living their life, they're happy, they're fine. Actually, mm-hmm. why do we why do we keep on cursing them? I always used to ask my uncle, like, why do we curse the Europeans or the Christians? Yeah, because they're not Muslim. Like, yeah, well, it's not their fault if they're not Muslim. It's okay. No, everyone in the world should be Muslim. And it's your duty mm-hmm. and everybody's duty to, to, to educate people to come into Islam. Like, yeah, but why? Like, why? Why should they come into Islam? Like, I never um, digested the idea. What's the point? And what's, what are we going to offer them? If they're gonna t- like, do you want them to lie, to cover, to be hypocrite? Mm-hmm. Isn't it like better to be like without the hijab, but then I'm honest with myself? Like, isn't this better? No, it's not better. That, that's that's what I got. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, so was- this cousin, I came from Austria, and I was like excited to see him again because he was eating, drinking with us, uh, mm-hmm. living with us. He was like a brother. So I hugged him. Mm-hmm. And my mom gave me the look, the uh-uh look. And I was like, I don't know, whatever. After that, like she took me to the room and she almost like she she 
made me hear words like, oh my God, how dare you? And what is this? Are you losing your mind? <laughs> what is it? Yeah, you don't hug him. Like, why? I'm sitting next to him. I'm, I know him. We almost grew up together. Like, and he was actually a nice boy, like normal. And he didn't never did anything like I could remember bad or harassing or whatever. Um, yeah, that was also one of the of the slaps. Like I always used to feel like it, it wasn't like a physical slap, but it was like, oh, so I did something wrong. So constantly I'm feeling I'm doing wrong. I'm doing some things wrong. I'm always wrong. <clears throat> um, I'm feeling guilty. I need to express, uh, oh no, don't express yourself in case someone thinks that. And so imagine this, this struggle between traditions, religion, psychology, I mean, my mental health, my family, all this, all this different people coming in and out of our lives. Like, and you're um, a teenager already. So you're already going through a tumultuous time. Exactly. Exactly. Then, then the comparison, it was constantly comparison between the Austria girl and me. I'm Austrian, but I'm not there. When am I going to go? Am I allowed to go? Should I go? Should I stay? All this time. So out of fear of my family and my mom and how would she react? She, she wasn't aggressive, but she was like fierce. Mm-hmm. Like she, she never hit me or she never, but she, her words were always like, like they would stay in my head. I wouldn't, I started um, like, I, I have trouble sleeping like until today. Um, and I remember nights and nights where I was always awake and I didn't know where to go. And I was like, is this really my family? Until I reached a point where I thought they just adopted me. That's why they're treating me this way. And I was like, no, no. Are they really my family? Is this really my mom? So um, adding to that, that uh, I come from a big family. So everyone raised me up, not just one person. So which even made me more crazy. So this aunt will be like, oh, wear the hijab. The other one will be like, oh, the niqab is even better. The other one will be like, ah, ignore them. So it's like everyone mm-hmm. had their, their ideas, but all of them acted the same. Mm-hmm. You see, like I was like, okay, why is she telling me? that the niqab is better, but she's not wearing it because everyone is wearing the, the hijab. So really crazy. Then we have um, this woman, you can study, you can go to university, but then you would go home and be a woman, woman, not, like all this, um, you shouldn't, contra- you shouldn't contradict uh, the guy, like my, 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 my grandfather, if he wanted something and it's going to happen, no matter how you feel or how the woman felt, if, if they wanted to marry someone they loved and he didn't want to forget mm-hmm. it, it's not going to happen. So it was always like, we have to lure him into believing that there was no relationship before. Why are you doing this? And I, I knew like there was two or three aunts of mine who were in love with their uh, colleagues in university but they never spoke to them they maybe had like little little chat out of fear and then oh if you it was like they married out of a crush like when you have a crush in someone oh you have a crush so you have to go and marry me that's just a crush maybe it's not even real love so imagine how after that the, the marriage and and the whole process and so people would feel forced to marry you, to get engaged, and under that lie that are we in love or was it a crush? And some cousins of mine, they they canceled their 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 um, engagement after a short time, for example. And 
and so on. So that was the, the whole trouble until I guess, I mean, I kept on my ideas to myself until I was 17, 18. Yeah, that's when I fell in love. Like that was like when I met my first boyfriend was just a flirt in the street. He gave me his number. I called him. <laughs> you know, it's just very random. And that's when I was like, no, I'm not doing this. I am, I'm not doing it this way. I'm going to go out with him. I'm going to kiss him. I'm going to experience everything. And I just decided for myself. But I had also friends who were also rebelling against everything like me. But um, I was, of course, scared to death doing all that. But I just, I was like, let me do it and see what happens. Like, what would happen? Mm-hmm. And yes, a lot of shit happened after that. Um, it was nice at the beginning, but it was all so stressy. I was stressed having a date. I have to fly. I have to tell my mom I'm at someone. And then at this someone has to stay next to the phone in case my mom calls. And you had to plan your whole yeah, two hours date needed like one month preparation. Like I'm, I'm planning an event yeah. <laughs> or a project. Um, you would sit with this guy in the restaurant looking around in case someone sees you and you're, you're just drinking coffee or whatever, flirting, talking. And then I was like, okay, this is too stressful. And I'm, my heart can't stop beating while doing this um let's take it to the other to the next level let's go into a house because a hotel would be impossible you will have to show your marriage certificate and Mm. all that um yeah and that's when I met the best people of my life really we're friends until today with some of the people that I met um we we had I had my gang let's say I had my friends who were likewise um, rebelling, choosing their life, preferring their own happiness than their family. So we had to hide, of course, um, protect ourselves and the boys who are also like us. Um, so we used to meet at two guys' houses in 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 different, like somewhat. Sometimes it will be in that house, sometimes there, and then the parties would happen there. Everything under the cover. The party, the love, the everything, the, the, the admiring, the getting the PlayStation. We just to go there to play PlayStation. It was like the free space where we could meet and be ourselves. Um, not even not putting any makeup or anything. We're not here to flirt or to seduce or to do all this. What other what what the society actually wants us to do to in, to seduce men so they can come and marry us? No, mm. we just want to get to know these men. Who are they? It was always a question like, if I marry someone, I don't know him. How am I gonna talk to him? Or can I just? Like, um, you're covering me all this time. And the night where I have to meet this person who is, I don't even know him, or I just had a crush in him, like in university, and he saw me all the time covered. And now all of a sudden, he sees all of me and I have to sleep with him. Do you know how psychologically fucked up that is? Yes, I but, do. <laughs> no, I don't know how, I mean, that's, I mean, that's why maybe this is my own interpretation. I'm not a doctor and not a psychiatrist, but I feel maybe that's why the, the Middle East and women, especially, and maybe men as well, I don't know, are uh, in constant mental health 
the issues like that they have to deal with depression with anxiety with because they are sexually not really um, understanding what's happening like um, to my body to my psychology to my hormones and de the development as well and also the whole sexual education is zero there's no sexual education in school there's no sexual education at home nobody talks about it at all one night before you get married you would sit with your mom or you she would give you the tea but I didn't even get that I didn't even have yeah. that a lot of the a lot of girls don't even get that and uh, they just hear from friends who already got married before them but not even nothing every experience is different everyone has different um, reactions to certain actions and all that so when this is when this fails how do you expect these women to function and to raise i mean mentally and to to raise children with, with with this with this feeling and with this um confusion and with this lost state of mind and it's it's crazy so um yeah i had to discover that the way i wanted i was um stubborn and i was like no i will i will do it with the guy i love which um it has to be on my conditions, not my husband, not my fiance. I don't want to get married. I, in that time, I didn't want to get married because I hated the whole marriage constitution and mm -hmm. how they, how they, how, how they made it like in Yemen and, oh, the, all this, this happy family portrait. And you could see in the eyes that no one is happy. It's just a show. And the kids are socially awkward. The husband is a, I don't know, he would have affairs one year after marriage um, the woman would get either mentally different or uh, let's say um, she would raise her ch children either very strict than she was as a revenge of what she did or she would become like trippy and like laissez-faire and let's do what they want and no, no, she wouldn't like invest in the children and and so on so mm -hmm. imagine like coming from a big family and watching every family very closely and in discovering that it's just everything is fake they're lying everyone is lying to themselves to their children to their husbands I mean it doesn't have to be betrayal but they're lying that they're happy and mm -hmm. that the the sexual relationship is amazing no most of the friends that I met who were married like longer five years maybe or longer and most of them they're like what is orgasm i don't even know what is that mm -hmm. so this is a big issue really i'm i mean i'm turning the, the subject now into no you're absolutely correct yeah yeah this is one of the things that i felt and and was keen to know even more and dig deeper because that was the point like if i don't feel as a woman, and I don't have a guy who, who treats me like a woman and respects my femininity, my preferences, my, my, um, my needs, and my sexual needs as well, as well as my psychological needs, then why get married? Get married I'm actually in awe over the fact that you have these thoughts. Like that you even, because I, I never even considered myself valuable enough to have the audacity to assume that I would orgasm. Mm -hmm. 
or that I would be treated with respect or that I would even love the person or that he would love me or that I would um, be anything other than the person who obeyed like you're talking about the wedding night or whatever, like all I was just totally consumed with was the blood on the sheet. I just, I needed, that just needed to like that. I was just, that's all like, that's all I knew. That's all I understood. That's, I didn't know anything about anything except for the fact that there needed to be blood on the sheet, mm. <laughs> you know? And I, I, I didn't even know anything. I didn't even know how it was going to get there. Like, you know what I mean? It was just, wow. um, yeah, you just don't, you just, and it's surprising to me to say this to you when I was born and raised in Canada and I was growing up in Canada, you're growing up in Yemen and you had more of a sense of self. I think that's really what it was, is you had a sense of self um, that I did not get until years later. Wow. Uh, so, I mean, that that's, that's really great that you had that. I'm, I think a lot of credit goes to your dad. Like he is I was just gonna what an that. amazing person to have in your life. Yeah. Cause he was kind of like yeah. the, the light, there was a light yes. there at all times. You know, you, he, it was always there. You weren't always with him, but, but there was always a light sort of shining in and. Yes, yeah. definitely. I mean, uh, I was, can I also say that it's um it's it's the comparison that kept on giving yeah. me or inspiring me with these questions like I would go to Austria and hear and watch and go to the to the cinema and watch scenes where people are kissing and going to the other level and uh, like erotic like not porn but you know mm. and I would see people on the on the beach and what well, we didn't have like in the pool and they were kissing and I would like question and feel and and then I would go read and the internet was by then like really old school, but I would really like go and, and look after that. Like, what is that? And then my dad, um, he had an, I mean, he still has an incredible woman. She's um, one of the most uh, important women in my life who also changed uh, my life a lot. She was the first one who I talked to about virginity. Like, what is virginity? Do you believe in that? And she was like, whoa <laughs> I have to do the talk not her mom not her dad. Yeah. and she's Austrian so mm -hmm. she explained to me that there is no virginity like physically anatomically and then she showed me a picture and like she she was like a, she gave me a sex education with 16 and that's when I started like really all this ideas and, and I felt like and then I was like playing games I would go to Yemen and ask questions just to tease my aunts and I would see how they react and then I would stay nights uh, interpreting my aunt's words comparing it with my stepmom's explanation and wow. yeah it was crazy I was um, yeah I was really going through a lot of um, I think I was having a high um, level of anxiety by then because I was not like I was shaky I was my my self-confidence was zero I was always like oh is this true oh is this right oh is this is is this one true is she telling the truth or is she trying to fool me is she does she want me to leave the islam that's why she's telling me that or does that one wants to pull me into the like 
everything was really confused. Everything was confused. And that's why I was like, okay, I'm a teenager. I love this guy. He loves me too. What do we do? I had hormones. I wanted him. He wanted me. And in the background, all these voices. So I chose me at the end. I was selfish enough to be like, nope, I'm doing it. And that's when I told you I met amazing people. I met friends who are like me. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm not alone. And um, guys who were really respectful and um, who also were like, hey, um, do you want a PlayStation? Do you? Oh, did you hear this new song? And I must give credit also to hip hop. It was the music I loved, still love. And um, you remember we didn't have CDs or whatever, so we used to write the lyrics with the with the tape. So we would hear something and stop. Wow. And, what did he say? What did he say? So my brother was also he was five years younger than me, but he was also very uh, into hip hop, and we used to sit together and write the lyrics like just to be you know rappers in our head. And the words, they were sometimes were like, whoa, philosophy, like opening, especially Tupac or the old school hip hop, or they had also messages like mm-hmm. indirectly. And this also developed more questions in me, like, hmm. so it's not really bad to experience love or to touched or to feel feminine, just to feel that nice thing. Why do I have to feel it with someone who maybe I have a crush in or someone I am I have to interrupt myself now just in between Uh, through all these years since I was 16 17 18 19 you could imagine how many husbands were introduced to me Mm. (laughs) I was just like nope 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 but but this was also happening like oh this guy he is so amazing because his Mm. family I'm like his mom is nice his dad is nice how do you know that the guy is nice yeah well they raised him up uh Excuse me. Is this? I always found that interesting too. Like he's nice. So what? Why do they think nice is criteria to marry somebody? Like there's a lot of nice people in the world. (laughs) You know, I could be friends to him. (laughs) Oh, he's not an asshole. Done. Yeah, yeah, but (laughs) he's not an asshole with you. Maybe he's gonna be an asshole with me as a wife. You know, because this is this happened a lot. Like a lot of friends, they have husbands. Their reputation is, oh my God, this guy, top businessman, he's so amazing with people, but then he beats her off. As soon as the ring goes on. And yeah, he betrays her. He has affairs. He does all this, but no, she, and nobody will believe if she Mm -hmm. complains. Mm -hmm. Same thing with harassments. I should tap Mm -hmm. on that as well. Um, Inside the family, I was... I'm not going to say raped or sexually really harassed, but I was touched like slap on the ass. I don't know. Oh, you grew up. Oh, you now you have some titties. Oh, now you're a big girl from uncles. Okay. (laughs) And if you talk uh, and they did this with every girl in the family and it was like common. But then if you go and you're like, I'm in love with this guy and I touched his hand. Oh my God, Mm -hmm. what did you do? Mm -hmm. So this Mm -hmm. uncle Mm -hmm. is slapping my ass the whole time when I was a child until Mm -hmm. I grew up and I actually had an ass at some point. Uh, Oh, and now, of course, by that time I was like, okay, everyone is getting, no, but then when I was 15, when I was like, no, I don't want. And he was like, what? You don't want? Oh, come on. So they don't even respect the no. They wouldn't take it for, for, for a no. And if you complain like oh come on it's your uncle you know him 
And no, I know him. Yes, exactly. That's why I don't want him to touch me. The other one was just like, um, you know, would if you sleep at their, their house, he would come and spoon me just like that. And you would wake up like, okay. Um, nobody talks about it. You would, and at some point I stopped talking about it. Of course, who, who's going to, who's going to believe me? You believe me, the girl who is rebellious, who, whenever she asks a question, it's about either religion or traditions, or will they believe the guy who is a very successful businessman or architect? And he has, he has five girls and, and he's a family man. Why would he do that? And now look at, how how the hypocrisy that's when it starts that's when i started hating like now i'm i don't care but i was really angry i had an angry teenager angry hateful i hated everyone in my family um who who clapped for everything right mm. and all this hypocrisy listening that my cousin she touched the hand of her crush but don't tell anyone that's a big secret and then when he didn't want to marry her she was like oh my god because he i touched his hand i will never touch a guy's hand so i can get married and i was like are you stupid he's an asshole not because you touched his hand so starting also getting distance distance i only had my gang <laughs> in the back mm. like supporting me and my ideas and then my family found out that I actually go with guys. And that's when I started drinking alcohol as well. I was like, okay, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it all. Let's start. Let's, let's do that. And then, oh my God, the alcohol and the guys and you smoke cigarettes, which was big deal. Um, that's when they started cutting me off. So I was not invited to family gatherings. I wasn't... Um, I wasn't called by anyone, like phone, whatever. If I would call, they would ignore my calls or my aunts, oh. my cousins. I was really cut off. I only had my mom who was like, shame, shame, shame. But she was like, okay. Now, um, she was also weak and she couldn't really, she was passive, let's say passive. She couldn't really defend her daughter because she knew it was wrong. Right. So how am, this is your dad who spoiled you. And now comes the divorce woman who mm. um, expresses her her own struggle, her own story and puts it on the, the result of this child that you spoiled by bringing her every year to Austria. And uh, my dad used to, to bring me to Austria and send me to camps to be alone with the other children. To I was in France, in Hungary, in like in Croatia, and every like a lot of camping summers where I was introduced to life, and I was I didn't like I wasn't even the one who slept every day with a different guy or who went all the way and went all crazy. No, I was like I'm oh that I'm I'm gonna enjoy the normal life and I'm gonna go rebel in Yemen, right? Mm. Um, yeah, so I was cut off for a long time. Um, that's when I started like feeling like, oh my God, shit is real. Like, really? Really? You're going to cut me off just because I, I had a boyfriend and I, I was drinking with my friends. And because I had the Austrian passport, I was the only one who can buy alcohol from a hotel. So my friends used me actually for that. And I was like, okay, like, why not? And um, it was the beginning of the 2000, 2003, 2002, like in this, in this, in this uh, time. 
And whenever I felt like a little bit guilty, because you still hear these voices, even mm-hmm. if you rebel, mm-hmm. even if you even if you feel you're right, I'm in the right place, but you still feel that. And I was like, okay, let's let's see what the Quran say. Nothing. It just confused me. Let's say what those sheikhs or these people who talk on the TV and come and advise us. I mean, they're for me, I thought, okay, these people are offering us guidance. But what I hear is just dissing women, dissing other people who are not Muslims, dissing Jews. Dish, and most of the Yemeni society, we were we were Jews. <laughs> we, we were yeah. mostly Jews. So it was weird. And I felt like, no, I didn't find any. They just confused me even more. And especially this, there was in the... In the late 90s there was a guy who appeared on tv he called Amr Khalid mm. he's an Egyptian mm-hmm. and uh, he used to represent the cool Muslim so he was like wearing t-shirts wearing jeans without a beard like he would look at it but the words that came out of his mouth were just scary as shit so I remember this time when my mom was very oh, holy, you know, with him and Ramadan, and he would like cry and feel like, oh God, forgive our youth, our young people for, for drinking and for going out with guys. And my mom would be like, listen to this guy. So it, it was her way, <laughs> her way of bringing me back to normal. Um, and I was like, okay, let's listen. And I used to listen to him uh, in Ramadan at night and um one day he was like telling a story of some girls who went out with guys and they got drunk and then they got an accident and they all died. And that, and I was like, I'm doing this since two years, nothing happened. So I started really, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I feel sometimes rude saying that, but I started playing games with, with God or with religion. Like, okay, mm-hmm. let me see if I do that, mm-hmm. will that really come? Okay. Will that miracle really happen? Nothing. So I was like, okay, Wasila, you should decide now. So your family cut you off. You have, I just, I used to see them sometimes like an aunt who I used to sleep in her place for days, cook with her, clean her house, whatever. And then she sees me in the wedding and she ignores me like she doesn't know me. Oh. So, you know, like hurt, hurt, hurt. At the same time, hate, hate, hate. Mm. And I was just. And probably a lot of self-hate too. Yes, yeah. sure. Self-hate, self-punishment. Um, uh, mm. And then I would be like, okay, do I listen to my heart? Do I listen to my to logic? Do I listen to my mom? Uh, do I go and apologize? But for what? I didn't know what to apologize for, for drinking alcohol or for so being how did that, how did not you, like you, like how, them. So you're like or 17, 18? For what? I didn't know because nobody had even the courage to come and sit with me and be like, okay, Wasila, you did this, 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 I'm disappointed. No, they just knew it was a big scandal. Everybody started talking and then that's it. So I was like, okay, fine. It doesn't make me less person. I'm just going to live my life, do my studies. And I started studying um, business in, in university. And that's when I realized at the university, I was like um, bothered by some students who were into the brother islam what do you call them mm. Ikhwan, um, yeah muslim brotherhood islam. exactly the muslim brotherhood they were really strong in university because they started selling these little books your life after death how to satisfy your husband and all this in an islamic way and all this bullshit so they started selling it in the lectures during the lectures 
and uh, girls would be like poking me oh your hijab is is falling down like I used to wear it like you know mm-hmm. showing a little bit hair like mm-hmm. not a lot uh your hijab is like your hijab is falling like where it's here no it's falling a little hair is showing oh okay and mm-hmm. it's too much too much pre- and then I would for example um I used to wear high heels then you have some girls you would walk next to them they astaghfirullah alazim La ilaha illallah. You're like, what? What did I do? I'm not naked. I'm just wearing a high heel. Yeah, you're attracting the men. Mm. I was like, why? Because once I had a talk with with one of them, and she was like, every step you make, and you make mm. a, vo- a noise because we had this um, ceramic uh, uh, floors, and when you walk with the high heels, like, tuck, tuck, tuck. Every tuck sends you one uh, one level deeper in hell. Wow. I was like, wow, that's creative. And then we have, there was another girl, I was showing pictures, like when I go to Austria and then we, I used to like uh, print out the pictures and bring them to the university to show my friends, like, oh, cool. And they would go and sneak behind us, watch, look at the photos and be like, oh my God, how, can, how dare you walk without the hijab? And then some pictures were like shorts or like, you know, uh, like, um, how do you like the spaghetti t-shirts and um one girl she told me something i will never forget it and she was like um as much as heaven wants like uh, citizens or members to belong to heaven also hell wants a lot of citizens so consider yourself a future citizen of hell Two years university with all these voices next to you. You can't walk, you can't talk, you can't be yourself. You just f- from them. Then you would go home as like you would kind of breathe. I would go to, with my mom to the shopping mall or whatever. Walk, don't walk this way. Don't chew gum. Don't laugh. Don't eat. If you're hungry, eat at home. Don't eat in the street because eating would make men hot and they would want to want you. Why? Um, I felt I'm in prison. Like my body was in prison. My my head was exploding with questions and confusion. Um, I had six personalities almost. <laughs> I was feeling like a freak. I had a personality with my friends who are open-minded. I had those nice friends who were still like in that trip, but I didn't want to leave them because because they were nice to me they never hurt me they accepted me as i am and they kept the religion which is fine like do it wear your hijab follow your rules pray five times a day even 10 times if you want but don't force me to do it and that's exactly the people which i kept who left me alone but they loved me or they liked me because i'm wasila not because i'm the the person who people talked about and um and then I had a personality with my mom, a personality with her family. Uh, another story, but that's her story, not mine. Um, they're kind of different from my father's family. Like they were more toxic. They were more fights in the house. Like family-wise, they were not stable. So you had to be another person with them as well. And I lost me. I was mm-hmm. like, who am I? In Austria, I was another person. So you could imagine the mental health situation I was um, going through until I decided to 
stop university. I don't want, I was like, who told me to study business? I'm not a businesswoman. I'm not even, I can't, I can't deal with money. <laughs> I, I'm not good with money. Why am I a businesswoman? And then I told my mom, I'm leaving. I, I can't stay here. And she was like, where are you going? And well, Austria, I'd have no friends. I just have my dad and my, my stepmom, my half sister, my half brother was already like, he was still a baby by then. I used to visit them every summer and I loved it. But at the same time, I was like, scared like really can you do that wasila oh i don't know what if i fail and then and then i started then this even the other struggle like if i fail there i would come back to him and everybody will diss me and everybody mm. will be like oh did you see so that's what happened when you rebel that's what happened when you lose your religion that's what ha- because you hear this in the media you yeah, hear yeah. this in- schools you hear this in university you hear this in family gatherings where every family gathering they have to bring an example oh did you listen about the girl mm-hmm. who slept with the guy and then god whatever did to her and then a jinni came and hunted her head and then yeah seriously <laughs> and that's a punishment from god <laughs> mm. and then um um where was I <laughs> exactly so you, were, so, so you went to you decided that you were going to go to Austria with your exactly. dad and stepmom exactly so I was like Austria I was still struggling here and here and um yeah also the media whenever they have a movie about a girl who fell in love the guy at the end he left her because he slept with her before or and the thing is I left my boyfriend actually <laughs> like he was the one who was like oh no you can't go to Austria and leave me alone we are in love I'm like yeah but I don't love you anymore so I'm gonna see the next step and it was a relationship every relationship it could end up nicely and it could end up badly and for me that one relationship at some point I wasn't in love I loved him but I was not in love so um, I then met a friend of a friend who she was living in Germany because she was half German, half Yemeni, and her whole family lived there. And she was like, oh, you speak German? I'm like, yeah. She's like, why don't you come to Germany for a study? I would host you. And I was like, the, you know, Jesus, um, the light. You know, yeah. <laughs> and um, I was like, really? And I don't know you. Like, you would just, she's like, yeah, you could come and, you know, just see where life takes you and you could try your luck. And she knew that uh, Yemeni girl also are not really um, like she, she lived in all over the world. She was, her parents were diplomats and they lived in different places and also, um, yeah. So she had, she, she knew what's happening. She knew the struggle, but not as much. She never lived that long in Yemen like me. And then she convinced me to go to Germany and I was like, okay, talk to my dad. He was like, Germany? Okay, why not Austria? I'm like, well, I don't know anywhere in Austria. I only know you and you live in a village. So I, there's no university there anyway. So I would be again in a big city. I don't know. Let me try. Let me just try for one year, see what's going to happen in Germany. And then, um, yeah, maybe I'll come back. Who knows? I never came back. <laughs> I left in 2004. And yeah, my mom was kind of worried but she was also relieved because she was like ah oh, finally i'm not gonna hear this from people mm-hmm. anymore your daughter your daughter your, yeah. we saw her in a yeah. car we saw her in two cars we saw her in a different car well we saw her in that street so she was kind of okay just go maybe things will change what happens six months after i left she keeps on calling me telling me she has a husband for me in saudi arabia Ooh. 
Uh, he's a rich, 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 rich guy. Mm. And he studied in France, but he's now back in... I'm like, why didn't he stay in France? I would marry him if he stayed in France. <laughs> now he's in Saudi Arabia because he's a son of a very famous businessman, whatever. You cannot imagine how many people tried to call me and convince me to come back from my plan. Like, no, change your plans. You have a husband now, a rich one. And live in Saudi Arabia. And I was like, are you crazy? I was just struggling the whole time in Yemen, which is not even mm. as strict as Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. And you want to bring me back? And then my mom was really, she gave them, she gave the family my picture without telling me. She gave them my. Uh, she gave her cousins in uh, in Saudi Arabia. She has cousins and family in Saudi Arabia. My number to call me to Germany to try convince me because she couldn't. I was so mad. I was so mad. And then I was like, well, you know what? Call my dad. You you want to get me married? So call my dad. And it was crazy. It was such a stressful time. And I was like, why did you give them my picture without? And asking how old me? were you at this point? I was twenty one. Mm, so you're an old maid of course <laughs> i'm old and i would you know if i don't marry by 25 that's yeah. it. not gonna get yeah. even children so a lot of people called me my grandfather called me he never called me i don't even know his voice via telephone we just mm. meet like hello and you know okay bye and he's very strict he calls me and he's like instead of bringing someone from the streets we give you his someone who is so respectful he comes from a very nice family. He has money. I was like, you, you're not poor. I'm not from a poor family so that you're all hot about the money. Second of all, with all this, what you what you experience with me, you think that I'm going to go live in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. <laughs> How stupid. They're trying um, to save your soul. Yes. And then uh, you would never want to work. You would never uh, Mm -hmm. worry about money and you would have your driver. You would have your cook. You would have your maid. You would. I'm like, yeah, maybe I'll have my cook and my driver who I'm going to have affairs with because of my depression. Then Saudi Arabia or what the hell are you trying to sell me here? Um, And this guy who I was going to marry to, he was 36, unmarried. And instead, I'm like, okay, wait a second. Why is an Arabic guy very rich and is not married and he wants someone from Yemen? Did you ever speak to him? No, I didn't. They offered me. They were like, do you want to speak to him? He would even come to Germany to get to know you. I'm like, nope. (laughs) I blocked everyone. I was like, no, no, no. So I just ended that but imagine like see like they would even they even if they my mom and my family like let's say my uncles from my mom's family they were like oh you're losing your daughter if you're gonna send her to germany you should yeah, they they terrorized her so she felt like oh my god i have to find a husband and then i don't know how whatever this saudi guy came into the the plan and that's when the stress began and then i was like okay i'm gonna block everyone and i was like I threatened my mom. I was like, if you ever open this subject again, I'm never going to talk to you. You can forget that you have a daughter. And uh, yeah, I was very aggressive. It's very, (laughs) um, this is the, people don't understand the, like when we talk about being forced into a marriage, they think that, you know, somebody's putting a gun to your head. 
But, you know, you're describing it there. It's just like this constant barrage of pressure, coercion. They're using, you know, emotional blackmail. They're using threats, you know, like, oh, you're never going to find a man as good as this. Or you're, you know, who's going to want to marry you when you're older or, you know, like all this kind of stuff. And um, exactly. it, it, it's, it just at, at some point you just break. I mean, you didn't. So that's good. But quite often. It's yeah. lucky that you were in Germany, because I think if you were in Yemen under all that pressure, it would probably would have been different, but you I were know. already I... free. So yes, yeah, yes. It was, they waited I too mean... long. <laughs> <laughs> That's for them. Yeah. 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 So I felt like, okay, no, 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 I'm not gonna let this happen. And then some friends here in Germany, they were like, you know what, go take his money and come back to Germany, you know, just for fun. Yeah. And I was like, you want money who said yeah. i'm looking for money? also it doesn't work like, that way the woman doesn't get anything it's not like germany where it's 50 50 at a divorce or something yes yes even yeah. that yeah he yeah. even take my children and my money and, yes you know, exactly yeah it's crazy and um especially that that the whole preparation of like the whole um raising up a girl by a big family and the, the it gives them the right to involve themselves in every little detail until you're grown up woman to involve themselves, even in the decision of you getting married, yeah. if it was a cousin or an aunt, or even someone who he never spoke to, like my grandfather, he, he had the right to involve himself in my private life. And that, that was impossible. Like I was to and, send your okay, picture I, without your permission. I mean, that's typical, this, yeah, right? I, yeah. I, 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 you I, don't even yeah. get to, you don't even get as much control of your life as they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. And they turn the narrative all the time. Like whenever, whenever you say, no, I am looking for a free life. Yeah. What is free life? You were going to be free. You have your money, yeah. you have your house, you have your yeah. car. Yeah. Okay. That's not free. Yeah, what is free? Do you want to drink alcohol and be a prostitute? Oh my God, it's yes. not about alcohol, you know. Um, they, they mix it up and I can see it today. I see it today in every platform, in every post, in every, um, sometimes like in, in any feminist talk. Yeah, feminists, they want our girls to get lost and get drunk and sell their bodies. Or they want our girls... Um, to become European I'm like be lucky if you become European <laughs> if you, like if you just can think for yourself and talk for yourself and maybe defend yourself instead of the way you raise us up the way you you suppress our um, our feelings our femininity our sex sexual feelings it makes us incapable people it makes us unmotivated people uncreative um, I have students, I mean, now I, I, I work in the university, I have students who come from the Middle East, they can't even have an opinion, a simple opinion. Why is that? Because they never had an opinion. Nobody asked them about your opinion. Um, we have students who can't even do a motivation letter to just tell me, why, do you, why are you applying for this scholarship? They, they struggle because they don't know who they are. They don't know why they came to Germany yeah, because the parents, they said so. And we're producing the same shit over and over and over again because we are raising our girls, our women who are raising, actually who raise the children, again, under these restrictions, again, mm-hmm. with, these, with this paranoia, with this stress, with these... Um, 
like when they say faith, you have to have faith. It's not, it's not God for me. It's not, they, they always connect the faith with God and religion. What faith is actually your strength and your success. And you, you, you believe in yourself to have faith, mm-hmm. like have mm-hmm. faith in, in believing yourself in, mm-hmm. in, in changing people's life. And that I have faith that, yeah, I have to believe in God and he's going to control my life. And I'm waiting. I'm waiting all this waiting uh, policy that our societies and my family as well. Like they, they copy this. We're waiting. Like the Muslims are waiting for the Mahdi to come. The Christians are waiting for uh, Jesus to come. The uh, Buddhists are waiting for Shiva to come. Why are we waiting? Why is this waiting? Waiting for for salvation. Waiting for... And then they they become incapable, incapable women. They can't think for themselves. They're a follower. And then... um, they don't know even why they are following because they never had the, 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 whenever they questioned, they were shut off. Until when are we going to raise our kids like that? Until when are these society going to, 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 to keep this cycle? Like, come on, hop on the bus, join the wave. Let's talk about different stuff. Why are we still talking about hijab? Yeah. So tell me about your, how, what was your epiphany? How did you get on this bus? What was your, was there a certain moment that you can recall or was it like a slow boil of a frog or? I think it was gradually. It wasn't like one day. It was with me. It happened really gradually. It happened, first of all, as I said, like um, questioning things that I didn't have answers for. And then I had to dig for the answers myself in comparing answers, like which answer made more sense for me to follow. And then the whole religion fakeness that I used to see, like um, my aunts would be admiring uh, an actor who is so beautiful and so sexy and so amazing. She would love to kiss him and some singer who is amazing. But then she would be like, oh, stop for Allah, let me go pray. And, you know, so I can forgive God forgives my sins. Why do you think it's a sin? It's a feeling. It's an emotion. No, Wasila, stop talking about that again with your crazy ideas. Mm-hmm. And then you have to swallow. And all this swallowing my own questions, it, it made me like slowly, slowly um, expanding my, my friends' um, circles to know other people. I wanted to hear other opinions, not just my family's opinions, not just my mom's opinions, not just my teacher's opinions. And at some point, like I met, as I said, interesting people who also helped me like wake up and I started, I, I read a lot. I mean, now I don't have time to read because of the kids, but uh, I used to read a lot and um, it opened my eyes a lot. And how did your family react to, or did you not share with them? That- not a lot. I didn't share a lot. I still mm-hmm. don't share a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. There's no like, need. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because at some point, if I discuss, I would only get angry. Exactly. They're never going to understand anyway. Or or I would have to fake and I don't want to fake anymore. Yeah. So like, no, this is me. If you want to. And the the crazy thing, uh, when I got married to a German guy, uh, my husband, uh, I got married when I was 32 and it was like, whoa, <laughs> everybody forgot. They already gave up. <laughs> She's going to get married. And they're like, hey, by the way, I'm getting married. <laughs> um, then my family started contacting me. Like, okay, you're married now. 
now you we acknowledge you as a human wow. and i was like seriously and um, i didn't at the beginning i was like ignoring ignoring and then i came up i mean i um kind of spiritually active and I was like okay if I want to get rid of this anger and like I, I mean I wasn't angry as much as I was like pissed like mm. you like now you're legitimate wanna, yes like now I'm a human like now mm. you can say hi to me and you forgot and all that and I was like okay I need to forgive them and I need to forgive myself as well and be easy on myself as well I had to I had to think again about me I don't want um, I don't want to when I when I when I see a number or a call from someone who used to treat me badly in the past I don't want to feel that grunge anymore I don't want to mm. feel that uh, I want to feel like oh, whatever or hmm, let me see if I can pick up maybe we can just talk like you know um, not deep let's like ah, how are you how are the kids okay bye mm, fine let's treat someone like a supermarket guy who says hello to you you know and I'm fine with that. I don't want to go deeper. If we gotta want to go deeper, then I'm going to be me. I'm going to bring my wine and we're going to sit and talk. Like, I'm not going to hide anything. Mm-hmm. And that's that's how I became. I became free. I became, I'm sending pictures with a bikini. Like, here, this is me in a family group. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, with my daughters. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um. And I That's don't get great. any comments anymore. I don't get, I, I get a lot of gossip, of course, a lot of gossips yeah. behind my back. Like, uh, of course, she only got, get, what, what, there was one of my best gossips about me. Nobody good could marry her. That's why she chose a German guy. Oof. <laughs> oh God, yeah. So I was like, oh, what about that Saudi guy? Didn't you want to marry yeah. or you forgot that? <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Well, I am really glad that you're free and happy now and that you are able to be yourself. And obviously I'm very happy for you for finding this wonderful man that you had married and that you have these kids together and that you get to be Wasila. You don't have to have any of those six personalities anymore. You can just be yourself. And that's, I mean, that is, that is such a it's such a brave act of self-love for you to be able to do that for you. You called it selfish, but I don't think it's selfish. I think you, it, it's, it's, it's like, we call it these days, we call it radical self-love. You know, you have to just say, I matter and I am going to take care of myself. And you did that. And that's amazing. And I am inspired by that. And I wish that I had done it earlier. And I know that ev- that so many women who are going to be watching this now are going to be inspired by you to, to, to do the same, to just say, I'm going to have the courage to be myself. And whatever happens, happens. And you did that. And that's amazing. Yes. Um, not stop not to follow, not to... And- as soon as the, the voice is in us, like at the end, they always say your guts is always right. Your yeah. heart, your first intuition, the first voice you heard is always right. And, and when, is, when that is constantly saying, you're fine, it's okay, you're in love. If this guy leaves, it doesn't mean that you're the prostitute. It doesn't mean it's because he is 
not in love with you anymore or maybe he's an asshole there's a lot of assholes there's also asshole women as well it's yeah. okay the thing that that they keep on lying to us by you have to be the perfect it there's nothing perfect even nature is not perfect mm -hmm. and that's what makes me crazy like why do we keep on doing it i really hope like for change but the more i see the more i yeah <laughs> like, oh my god <laughs> especially after the movie that was very famous now the perfect people and the yes. crazy came yes. after and the attacks and I was like oh my god we're still talking about the same thing uh, yeah it's it's really sad but I I think also that politics play a role in these countries like um I don't know like the it comes from politics religion um, it's it's a mix so to tackle one issue it's really hard that's why feminism in the middle east it's gonna it's gonna take a long time i guess it's brewing okay so um i wanted to open it up to everybody that has come here to join us today um a few people have their cameras on, a few people have their cameras off, um, but the people with their cameras on probably want to ask you some questions, and we've got our first one already. So, Erkan, please go ahead. Thanks, Yasmin. And I'm delighted that you're back on my screen. It's great to have you Thank back. You. Um, uh, thanks, thanks to uh, Wasila for a really great talk. And... Um, Thank you. Really interesting. And I think um, what I found really most quite refreshing about your talk was your ability to talk with such candor about feelings, sexuality, and growing up a teen, you know, a teenage girl in Islamic, you know, in an Islamic kind of country. And I found that to be really re refreshing because especially in Western countries, we we tend to associate um, sexual repression with the Christians, you know? And I think one of the reasons for that is precisely because we don't hear from people like you. And, um, and you know, because Islam itself is veiled, you know, in a way. Um, so, um, so for that, I, I just wanted to congratulate you and to thank you for just being so open and just like, it's just such a, a great talk. And um, hopefully you will have inspired lots of other Thank girls you. and women so to, to do the same thing. Thank you. This is so beautiful to hear. I, I'm really happy to hear this comment. I'm really happy to talk about this subject, uh, especially the sexual education and the relationship with, with the religion that and then the whole chaos that happens if it's not uh, tackled. And uh, I'm really happy that um, I'm in a position now to talk about it in detail. And um, I believe a lot of girls um, think the same or maybe they will be can associate or can relate and be like, I'm having the same ideas and I can do it. And that's exactly what I wanna deliver to tell people like girls and teenagers, do you and, drop this whole madness and i i never want an, or wish for anyone to go through what i went through um and um yeah um I'm it's really as if it's as if females in in sorry to sorry sorry to check it's as if females in islamic countries are kind of hypersexualized and desexualized at the same time it's kind of like and dehumanized in that way as well because you know and because actually it's just 
sexuality is a human is an expression, isn't yes, it? I mean, yes. it's one of exactly. the ways. And the, the thing is that they, they tell you that it's just for fun if you're a prostitute and it's a very holy if you're and it's for children if you get married but what about between and before that what is what what am i going to do with my feelings and with my hormones and with my natural instinct the thing that they they de-associate sex with instinct that's that's the crime i feel like why it's like drinking and eating and, and sweating and running and sleeping and it's just part of you of being human and I didn't mention that when I rebelled and I really lived the life I had to switch from hijab to niqab so I covered my face to live my femininity how crazy is that so so was that do you mean like so that you could hide so that you could go hang out with your friends without people knowing who you were yeah so then when we enter the house of that guy they Mm -hmm. don't know who entered that house yeah dehumanizing really I felt like I am being covered as a child so my childhood is dead I became a woman with 80 with 11 and with 20 with 18 with 17 I became a tent covered Mm -hmm. and below this tent there's a there's a woman who wants to live Mm -hmm. and it felt like I'm killing me through these these covers and I didn't want to kill me so I rebelled. Kind of just baby making vehicles, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know, I think in Islam, maybe. Anyway, thank you very much. Thank you. But then I just wanted to add before we go to Aliyah, also the hypersexualization too is just it's such a part of the religion. So when you look at the mm-hmm. hood that they talk about, the 72 sex doll virgin things that men are going to get in heaven with the round breasts and the this and that, like. They, they cover us human women in black and desexualize us completely. But then they have these, you know, fantasies of these, they're not human even. They don't even, mm. they don't, it's, they are these non-human entity Japanese sex doll things that. Like almost this, this, this fairy tale uh I don't know fairy tales um, figures and um, and the, the how they they always sell it as dirty and then they and then it's holy you, and then it's holy and it's beautiful and then well, even with the hijab where they keep on confusing you with the hijab they're like wear the hijab to cover your beauty once you wear it like oh you you're look so, so beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> Yeah. What do you uh, want? Isn't, isn't there isn't there a line in the Quran or, um, or maybe a hadith that goes something like the woman should cover her charms, quote, her, unquote, her chest, her, char- her charms, no, her yeah. various charms. Yeah, you know? yeah, her, yeah. You're gonna you're gonna inflame you're gonna flame yeah. the male you know the in, you know the male passion or something. Yeah. Anywho, okay, Aliyah, sorry. Yes, hi. Um, so people who don't have their camera on, they also want to ask questions, um, like me here. Yes, please, yes. go ahead. So, um, Wasila, I just wanted to, you know, congratulate you on your freedom. Your voice is so important. It's You're very bold, strong, and, you know, very, very inspiring. And that is something that girls, um, you know, need to actually hear um, a lot more. Girls um, of Muslim heritage. Um, a couple of things I just wanted to say, you know, how, how, how draining, you know, how draining is it to kind of like 
to live sort of like a double life. You know, I completely understand I have to wear the hijab from grade school all the way until the time that I was married off, you know, um, and it was that constant fear of every single day. Oh, my gosh, what if my uncle, you know, you know, walks in? What if he walks into the school and my hijab is not, you know, there? So I totally, totally understand that. Um, and speaking about, you know, teenagers, um, the teenage years, especially for a girl, you know, it's all about marriage. It's not, it's not about, oh, you know, she's going through a lot. There are hormones and, you know, there's so much to understand, but it all comes down to, okay, so now, um, you know, especially when the girl has her period, it's, it's all about, okay, so now she's, she's a woman, you know, she has to be covered. Um, although um, I was put, um, I was made to wear the hijab at a very young age, but especially when a girl hits, you know, puberty, um, when she has her uh, period, it's, it's all about being covered. And it's about, okay, now let's start looking for proposals, um, all of that. So it's very, I think, I think uh, parents, especially in the Muslim world need to get, um, they need to get educated. And your, your voice is, you know, um, it's very, very powerful um, in there as, as, as well. The other thing that I wanted to say, you know, about what you said, you know, you have to plan your whole life around this ideology. It's so draining. You can't even have like a cup of coffee, like you said, with a guy, with a boy. Um, you know, you constantly have to plan your whole life. You, like my whole life um, was, was around, you know, the hijab. Like I had to plan my whole freaking life around that. And it was so, so draining. Um, yeah. Like a thief, like if you would go on a date and you feel like a criminal because you have to hide the makeup. Exactly. Wear differently. And then you have to change in the car. And then you have to see where are you going to lie. You have to know a friend who is going to be really there if your mom calls and you're constantly paranoid. And we're talking about years of this uh, state. Uh, of mind and if this if the state of paranoia and until it becomes a habit until it becomes something you can't even oh where I mean until today I'm like where are my keys they're in my hand I'm like where are my keys <laughs> it's like I feel this is the the, the leftovers of my uh, earlier uh, anxiety or something um, it's uh, this feeling of monitoring there's always a camera that an invisible camera someone's gonna see me someone's gonna years long while you're a teenager and as you said Alia um, it's turning you into a woman very early and raising you up to be a wife we are raised up to please men at the same time we are we are raised up to avoid men see the confusion you're yeah. raised up to um, don't show anything that would make men want you at the same time please do make men want you because otherwise you're not going to find a husband so yeah. Um, yeah. You, you were very lucky that you had your father. Uh, yes. You know, um, I, when we talk about self worth, there was no self worth for me. It's always about everybody else pleasing everybody else, especially, you know, the men. 
um, I think what we have to do is, you know, we have to, to speak out more and share stories like yours, Yasmin's, you know, Sahara, mine, and everybody else's. We have to normalize strong, self-loving girls and women who can think for themselves, who are very much in tune with their body, their feelings, their needs, their wants, their desires. You know, yes, we have desires. We are human beings. We're not some sort of, you know, you know, uh, some, thing. I don't know, aliens even, or a thing or, yeah. And even if, if you get married the way they want, your husband, you shouldn't also be that all open about it. So they always used to tell us oh, as yeah. well. Like, if you're going to sleep with your husband, don't show him that you know a lot. Act stupid. Like you like if you go and you're like oh I don't know what is that oh should I get naked as if you don't know shit just act it out because this makes you very respectful in the eyes of your husband what yeah. a freak I don't want to marry such a freak that thinks that you know or um I have really a lot of stories about friends of mine who um like one of them she she literally her husband slapped her wild sex because she made a noise and he was like where, where did you where did you learn that did you watch your porn and he slapped her and then it stopped so such stories and this is just one little and then she was like oh you spoiled me girls because we gave her some movies <laughs> to watch by that time and she was like yeah this happened because of you and she started hating us yeah. So see how, how the circle goes and yeah, because she yeah. naturally wouldn't be moaning. Yeah. 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 You should yeah. shut up and let the man do everything and don't even start any action. And it's, it's a devil work. I used to hear it from uh, the mosque when they talk about, because they're always talking about women or sex or whatever in the mosque in the Friday. Uh, it is. It's, Sorry. And they were um, they were always saying also if a woman sleeps with a guy up front, it's a it's a demon work. So oh, never wow. let your wife jump on you. Yeah, yeah. You know your <laughs> your words kind of bring back. You know, I, I I was forced into marriage, and the only thing that I was told was you know just sit uh, just sit still and just let him do. Exactly. Um, you yeah, know, do everything. And I didn't even know about the blood part, Yasmin, until until I remember because um when when like uh when stuff started getting really, really, you know, when it was getting abusive in, in the marriage, I remember like I'm a rebel, so I've always rebelled. Um he, my ex-husband would say, you know, oh well, you were never even a virgin to begin with. And then I remembered back. At the morning of the, you know, the day after the wedding, his sister came in who had told me, you know, to just sit still and she was checking the sheets and, and I thought, what is she doing? And I didn't even know at that time what she was doing. Um, you know, so that was thrown back at me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so imagine yeah. what this gets to you psychologically. Yeah. And then, and then the shame, and, you know, the, yes. the, the, you know, they, they told like everybody and it was like, oh, you know, she never bled and blah, 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 blah. But yeah. You know, yeah. and of, it's of, a myth. The whole thing yes. is a myth. How many exactly. girls lives have been ruined yes. because of this thing that was made up? 
there are girls who have been shot immediately mm -hmm. because they didn't bled. Yes, yeah. there are stories in Yemen where we hear, or some of them, um, they would like cut themselves with a sharp thing, like a thigh or something during the act so they can bleed because they're not sure if they're gonna bleed. So all this, then we have uh, stories like, um, there was friends of us who works in the hospital, like as a, um, a sister in the hospital or a doctor. And then they would tell us about uh, cases. They come in bleeding and they were almost raped because she didn't bleed from the first time. So he had to rape her oh. until she bleeds so he oh can God. be sure that she was a virgin. And then you see her mom and her dad like very good, you know, because she should. And all these stories, you hear them as a child. And you hear them and this is just terrorizing. I think this is, this is a crime to hear. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's a crime anyways, but it's a crime also to hear it, to make us hear it, to make us believe in this myth. And to base our whole life on a lie and live yeah. with a lie and lie more, lie even more and be a hypocrite. Yes, do that. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so, Thank you. so Thank much. You, we, have, we have to continue yes, speaking out. Are. Who the hell cares about the whole Islamophobia, you know, label? I don't care. Call me whatever you want. Yeah. I love that girl. So um, Elia also has a, a Forgotten Feminist that we also chatted about her life. And so if, uh, if you love her as much as I do, you should watch that. One of my favorite episodes. is yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Very first. She inspired this whole thing. Yes. Lois. Well, thank you, Wasilla, for that wonderful presentation. You said something a few moments ago that really clicked with me. Um, I left fundamentalist Christianity. And you mentioned remnants left over. And I've noticed that things that bother you, stresses, you don't even realize are related to religious teachings. I was wondering if you could comment more on that, the remnants that are left over from what you were taught and trying to free yourself from them. Mm -hmm. um, do you mean when I said, like, I was, I was left like I was blocked from my family and stuff? Or do you mean when I said women get only the leftovers what men leave? That <clears throat> I'm a bit confused. Well, I, when I said remnants, I'm thinking of sort of emotional stresses, things that bother you, things that you have trouble coping with emotionally, and you don't realize that they came from religious teachings. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Um, it's... I. I think it was more the acts and the answers I got and the traditions they were forced on us. For example, the way I would go to a wedding, I would dress nicely, but then I'm not supposed to dance. Why? Because if I'm going to dance too much, people will think that I'm not really a good Muslim, nice girl. Like the Christians uh, in, in, in a nun school, for example, like you should sit like quietly and, you know, uh, I don't know, you shouldn't ask, you shouldn't move, you shouldn't, you should walk in a certain way and you shouldn't even dance. And then I was like, why do you take me to weddings anyways? Yeah, because we have to show that we have a girl who would potentially want a husband. So that was when I realized, okay, so it's again about the marriage. It's again about the religion. So I don't really get lost. And they want to keep you in that box again. 
once you, they feel that you have some intentions, uh, like I love belly dance and I've been always dancing belly dancing. And when I dance, I really go into it. So I would close my eyes and I would like, like, oh my God, she's enjoying it. So it means something. And that's, that's when I felt like, why? So it's haram. Everything is haram. You shouldn't enjoy yourself that much. You shouldn't enjoy your sexual life that much. You shouldn't enjoy everything that is not depressing, <laughs> you know? So they want to turn you into that, um, yeah, quite depressed, nice girl. And even the talk, like if I talk and I would talk loudly and I mean, I speak with my hands and feet and everything. Like, why are you talking like street girls? Why? What street girls? No, you should talk very slow. I'm like, okay, we're not the posh uh, family from Queen Elizabeth. We're not going to do a, a stiff upper lip style here. Who like, who are we? <laughs> you know, they, they, they would always put you back in that last position so that you have to follow once you get with your own ideas and you want to be independent they would give you some words or put some ideas in you so they can pull you back again to follow the, the, the herd and um yeah i think religion has really influenced every little aspect in my life at, at least i mean I say freely, yes, I went to Austria. My dad is free. He gave me all the freedom I needed and he always educated me on that party. But still, I always went back to Yemen because I was still in school and all. So, yeah, I felt it's definitely religion because I didn't feel it there. How come I'm feeling it here? And they would always give you also verses of Quran to even give you some more itch. Like, But you remember the, the verse that says this and that. Even if, if you discuss more and they don't know how to break you or how to discuss further, or if you talk in reason, with reason, or with logic or with science, uh, they will always give you some hadith or some Quran verse to, to, to shut you off. And then you would feel like, okay, whatever. Yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of uh, like happy at some point point that my family really uh, blocked me at some at a period of my life because it gave me the freedom and it gave me like some piece of that 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 input to to sit back and be like okay let's see now like what happened of course I was sad but um, it gave me some peace to think and to stay alone with my own thoughts mm -hmm. so that Thank you can you. even hear your own Thank thoughts you. yeah. yes discuss my own yeah, yeah. criticize even my own thoughts um i i feel like it's my birthright to question and that okay. was not possible I Lois, were you allowed say, to question um we were theoretically yes uh but we always came back to the same thing <clears throat> it was always circular you know you have this question and they bring you back and we thought we were questioning, but we really weren't. Mm. And, <clears throat> and when I, well, I suppressed everything. And I, I have this little saying for myself now, when I lost my faith, I found myself. Mm -hmm. Yes, wow. But we yeah. were really, but things like, well, I wasn't allowed to go to, movies or go to dances or anything 
And I remember I was in my 30s the first time I went to a theater, a movie theater. And I sat there feeling like the whole world was staring at me. Mm-hmm. But you don't belong here when I had left everything, but yet those feelings. The first time I walked into a liquor store, it was hilarious. I mean, you just, you can't get rid of the feelings for a long time. I think quite often you, you don't even know the feelings are there. And then they pop right. up and then you're like, oh, yes. weird. Exactly. And then to try and figure out where it came from and what's the source. I mean, you know, Wasila was talking about like ever since you're a little girl, you know, you're, it's these constant anxieties, constant stresses being thrown on you all the time, you know, up until, you know, when we're talking about the blood on the sheet, like it, there's so many creative ways to cause angst and, and just trauma constantly that, yeah, I mean, it would be, how do you even figure out the source for? What always uh, also made me sad, like when I go to weddings, and I could see that the bride is shaking when the husbands come in. And they're like, oh, I'm like, is she happy? Does she want to get married? And everyone would be like, oh, shut up, Osila. Just she is scared of the first meeting. I'm like, yeah, but she's scared. She, I really felt bad for them. She's the one is crying, the other one is shaking. It, my God, I'm getting married. I should enjoy and dance and laugh in my wedding day. And I should no, but this is shows and it shows how how amazingly uh good Muslim you are. That shows that you never met a man and you were never a closer to a man. So you should really, and some of them, they even acted it out. You know, it was so funny at some point. Some of them were like, oh, like acting that, so that they give this impression. I'm like, this is sick. This is sick. I live in a sick society. Take me out all. And imagine, I mean, every Thursday, every Friday, there's a wedding in Yemen. People are like till today and we have a big family. So imagine how many brides I have seen who were sad or scared or shaking or and for me that was like I'm never gonna get married I was really like when I left Yemen I was definitely not getting married that was my 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 goal I was like no 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 until I changed my mind slowly so thank you so much thank you so um I don't know who was next was it Josh or Erkan I wasn't paying attention Sure, I have a, just a quickie. Um, it's always good to see you, uh, and everybody else. Um, so some of us have been at this game quite a while. Are we winning or losing? I mean, sometimes <laughs> I wake up in the morning and I just, you know, I, I see like a headline, which is Islam is in retreat. Um, I sort of gave up the idea that you have to, that atheists have to win uh, to win the battle. Um, so I wonder if anybody has any feelings about that or data. I always like to see data. If there's any empirical data about uh, attitudes and, and religiosity and so forth in the Middle East. Uh, I can only tell you, like, from my side, I don't think there will be ever data because families and societies do not allow even the government to count the people living in the houses. We still don't know how many. How is the real number of population? We have uh, these where they're not, they don't even have electricity. I mean, even before the war, now it's getting even worse and worse, like Yemen is a crisis. But even before, uh, there were cities and villages where 
the government didn't even know these people exist. So, and if we talk about statistics, like how many women got married by force, how many women never met their husbands, it's, it's just, um, we don't have that data because nobody cares because there's no institution or a human right, um, let's say organization that really tackles the issue about sex and sexual education in the Middle East. It's still a taboo, even for the West. Even the West, when they come to these countries, they would talk about poverty, which is important, of course, mm. poverty, education, they would support um, water system in, in, a, in a city, but they would never go deep and talk about mental health, sexual education, like the real, I was like, um, there was a, a time where um, when the war happened in Bosnia and uh, there were so many Bos like women who were taken from Bosnia to Yemen. I'm not sure if they were forced or not, but I guess, yeah, I don't know, maybe like refugees to Yemen and they were forced to like, they were married, like they got married to members of the Islamic Brotherhood. And it was a big issue. All of the news, like, yeah, we have, a, and they called it a group weddings. And I wonder until today, what happened to these women? I always wanted to do a documentary yeah. about the refugees in the 90s who came to Yemen and were married to these guys who were already married. Maybe they already had two, three wives and they just added a, a blondie to the team. And... Uh, and then you could see then this mixed kids all of a sudden in the streets, in the parties, like, oh, she's a blonde Yemeni. Oh, yeah, her mom is Bosnian. Ah, it's one of those. But what about those women? Who, who cared? Who asked these women? Who took care of them? The Islamic Brotherhood. They took them. They invited them. They gave them shelter. And they married them. I don't know how old they were. But you could see like there is, I, I mean, I'm talking about Yemen. I don't know if there is something like this in Egypt or in Lebanon, maybe the more kind of more civilized societies yeah. than Yemen, considering considering mental health and, and sexual life. But um, yeah, it's it's sad. It's really sad. Sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> no, it's uh, just one thing. It's like just to see the transition, like you, you put a lot of those pictures up often with the hijab and not, and then you see these beautiful, um, brilliant, free-spirited women. Uh, and it's just in, incredibly inspiring. And yet at the same time, it's also depressing because you're, you're looking at what could be for a lot of women that will never be. And it's heartbreaking sometimes to see, right? As, as, as interesting and as exciting as it is to see the other side, right? And you sort of reverse engineer it in your head, right? Yeah. And the thing is, whenever you talk and you're like, um, can we talk? No, people are dying of hunger. It's always the, the war and everything that war results, it, it blocks again these important issues for us. We're always being blocked. We're being silenced either by war or by even when we talk like about let's talk about mental health ah who cares about mental health let's talk about food and electricity and and it's been always this way so when are we going to talk about these things when are we going to educate our children about these important things when are we going to talk to our teenagers we're always talking about food and 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 water and electricity and then hijab and but we're not talking about the the, the way we raise them up we're not talking about the way we talk to them. What do they hear, our children?
from us as parents? What do they hear from the sheikhs and the mullahs and all these mosques? We have every street in Yemen has over 50 mosques. We're the Arabic country who has the most mosques in the Middle East. And we're just hearing shit. I'm sorry, but I, I mean, it, they're, they're not tackling any deep issues. And we're always being shut up because of the politics, because of the war, and because it's always something else is always more important than the voices. I want to say that there's always going to be a reason to shut you up. So whether it's Yemen or whether it's Egypt or whether it's Saudi Arabia or whether it's Qatar, it doesn't matter how much money they have. They all have clean water. They all have food. They all have more money than they know what to do with. They're all driving Porsches and they're still not going to talk about it because they're just not interested. And as far as those numbers that you're asking for, Josh, we're never going to get those numbers because people are scared. Um, The fact that you're seeing all of this free from hijab and the no hijab day and all that stuff. A lot of those people are in the West. Most of them are in the West. Um, you're not going to find very rarely are we getting, except for Iran, because Iranian women are yeah, something right. else. <laughs> they're just like, they're amazing. They're like, yeah. they're like Amazonian women that are like, <laughs> you know, they're like, yeah, they're not even human. They're above us all. Um, but normally they, they would just be too scared. So um I'm just going to read you a quote here from the chat that um, that Michelle said. She says, Josh, there are so many of us women against Islam. Only difference is men are carrying weapons and killing us or putting us in jail. So you, how are you going to hear our voices? And even the men that are against it, they're going to fake it, too. And they're going to pretend, you know, gay guys pretend that they're straight and Every everything is about pretending. I know Wasila was was really painting that picture for you today of how everything is just fake. Everybody's faking it. Everybody's so scared. You're scared of the people and what they're going to say about your family and your family's honor. And you're also scared just for your life. You know, honor killings are 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 real, and it's just. Yeah, in that culture of constant lying and fear, how do you get real answers? How do you get real data? I don't know. But I, I like to believe that things are changing. I I feel that things are changing so much more than they were when I was a child. And I credit a lot of it to the internet. Just the fact that people can have anonymous accounts on Twitter or whatever, that they can go and watch YouTube videos I'm getting messages from women in Saudi Arabia all the time that if if you consider their society that it's it's so Islamic, their education, their their media, their government, everything. So they would never hear these counter narratives. They would never hear different voices except for through their laptops or through their iPhones. And so it's like this conduit of like just bringing them a thousand years into the, into the future, into the present. Um, So I I feel like things are changing, but I'm a hopeless optimist. So. I also believe that technology is, is going to uh, slowly take us out from this fakeness, uh, especially when we come to the further future, we start to deal with AI technology. 
um, you know, touching and doing. You do the order, not God. You change the weather, not God. You, you, you. And that's maybe, well, that's my hope, that technology is going to be, um, you know, give you the power of God. And maybe then they will start thinking, oops, there are no 700 virgins waiting for me in heaven or and all these fantasies. And um, maybe then we can talk about sexual education for children. Maybe then, like, and as you said, the access that to 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 these talks, social media is the biggest revolution um, to deliver ideas and uh, voices. And you, Yasmin, you are one of these people who change the future, making us talk, giving us voices. My pleasure. Erkan. Thanks. Um, well. Actually, the original thing that I was going to say, I was going to ask about, may have been answered. But I just want to, that conversation about IT has just made me think of something else. Um, and I, what I'm concerned about, I, I agree with you that, that the internet has, and that platforms such as this, have great potential. But what concerns me, particularly over the last 18 months to two years, are the counter-initiatives like against freedom of expression, against mm-hmm. free speech, shutting people down. From the West. Yeah, demonetizing mm-hmm. people. Like, you know, um, if, 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 if you don't, which is quasi-religious in itself, you know, if you don't follow the woke religion and you don't do as we say on our platform, we will shut you down. And they're more powerful than the government, actually. The First Amendment has no chance against Twitter and Facebook and this and that. So I worry about that kind of thing. I don't know about anybody else, but I really am concerned about that. It just goes completely against um, everything that people like John Stuart Mill said. You know, the, the, the being a member of a liberal democratic system comes with responsibilities. And one of those responsibilities is understanding things, letting other people speak. And we're not doing that these days. And um, we want to shut people down instead of letting them speak, which is precisely the wrong thing to do. Censorship is precisely the wrong way to turn when, when, we, when we want to fight these kinds of battles. And I think this came up in the last um, session, but yeah. Uh, so that's one thing I would say about personally that worries me a little bit, like Yasmin says about this coming from the West now. You know, we have this guilt thing and, uh, it just it concerns me deeply, really. True. Um, I think maybe, uh, just like the West always produces or, or sells new ideas to save the world. In the past, it was the communism was the best. And then you no, know, at some point, they were like, no, 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 let's do the liberal societies. And now people are not believing in liberal part anymore. And it's just a process. I think at some point we will have also a new system because this has been always like through history. It was always one system ruling the world. Uh, It failed. And then another system ruling the world. And now it failed. Like in the U.S. now, they are losing faith in the Democrats because they failed the society. And now we also see that the West is failing us by censoring some posts, by stopping Instagram is really having, um, like if people are talking about Palestine too much or talking about freedom too much or talking about even um, feminism too much, they would censor their posts or their stories. And it's just, 
this is where politics come to play. So um, yeah, it's it's a mix. But uh, it's it's uh, it's also what worries me. Also, adding to your statement, is the other part because when we had the no hijab day, we had the hijab day. Then when we have the freedom, then you have the people who are against freedom. So the the internet is opening is open for everyone, even for ISIS. They had Twitter accounts. They were threatening people. It was freedom of speech until they got censored with some uh, some Twitter accounts. But yeah. This is another experiment, again, with the internet on us human beings until we know how to use the internet and who. And yeah, so this is, I think, this is more history and, and, um, and uh, yeah, politics. I'm in South Africa too, David. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Sahara, did you have a question? Yes, I just wanted to say thank you, Yasmin. Love you. You know, thank you for continuing with this conversation. It's must. You know, we have to keep speaking. We have to keep talking. Like they say, we are tsunami. They can't stop us. They can't censor us, you know. And um, and I'm so proud of you. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm saying your name wrong, probably. Wasila. Wasila. I'm so proud of you. Congratulations for your freedom. And thank you for coming here to share your story. Thank you. And yes, we must speak. And this, you know, what's so sad is this ideology and also the culture that obsessed with virginity. And I wonder why they mutilate girls. You know, I wonder why they mutilate, you know, mutilation, female genital mutilation because it's the control, right? You want to control people. Uh, this obsession with virginity, I don't really get it. Why is Islam is so obsessed with virginity and this culture? And, and of course, you know, it does teach, there's a teaching how to do the female genital mutilation. And uh, it's really sad that in the West, it's, it's happening in the free world. And that's the thing I just wrote a letter, you know, just trying to, um, you know, call out Ilhan Omar because nobody has a spine. The Western people are afraid, you know, people are afraid to be labeled uh, Islamophobe. And, and I'm not because I was called Islamophobe when I was even in this ideology uh, for just calling out something about female genital mutilation or just saying like, you know, what's wrong with making make America great because I love this country. I am right now in the USA, in the USA, and America gave me the freedom to be the person I am today. And I'm really afraid because I ran away from socialism and dictatorship and one way of thinking. And this country is kind of becoming toward that way. So I do call things out and I've been called all names. I don't really care about it. You know, I don't care what you call me. It's at the end of the day, it's me, you know. And I just say, like, you know what, peace to you and just leave people alone. Uh, but we need to keep speaking and we need to keep um, we need to keep talking. These voices are being silent, but we are unstoppable and, you know, and uh, silent. We got to speak. And I'm proud of so many of you, um, you know, girls, women and boys and who's calling this BS. It's time. It's time for us. It's time to talk to tell our stories and we can tell our story. It'll be the people, you know, the people, because every individuals, we all have a story. At the end of the day, uh, we all human being. 
And as Yasmin said the other day, um, when I listened the space, um, you guys had it, no hijab day. Um, it was very powerful, powerful. And Yasmin said, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you believe in. It doesn't matter what you're, what you are. You can be whatever you want to be. But let's see each other as a human being or humanity within each other, you know. And I think that's what we need. We need to keep speaking. We need to be courageous. And I think it, with the community, in order to change or in order to progress, is for people to be stop being afraid because the the fear is real. I mean, I'm not really, and you have to be safe. The fear is real. These people bully you. These people torture you, drag you on the, you know, when I left my own community, it's not white people who's been oppressing me. It's my own freaking Somali community who wants to stop me, who wants to torture me. I'm not saying all of them, but is these, we need to call out this hypocrisy. We need to call out the, you know, the double standards that our own freaking community are, be, you know, are the one, we are the victim of, from this ideology in our own culture, but then when we want to tell our story, I've been called, my story is like, I'm being Islamophobe. Even people from the West calling me, like, I'm being like, I'm just like, it's your culture. And I'm like, it's a shitty culture and we need to call it out. So we just need to be courageous and keep calling it and just tell these people, you know what, just, just leave me freaking alone. I'm going to keep speaking and you're not going to put me in a box because they want to put you in a box. And sadly, the narrative is, you have to fit this narrative. Um, I mean, I migrated to this country. I'm not oppressed. America is not oppressing me. America gave me the freedom to be the person I am. I was illiterate when I came to this country. My own community, you know, oppressed me and wants to hurt me and I'm running away from it. But they don't want to talk about the fact. Always is like the material. I think you were talking about. They don't want to talk about the psychological, right? The the uh, depression, the things that within the community is happening, they just want to like material here's, you know, materials, materialism, and don't want to talk about the fact. And I think we need to keep speaking and just be courageous. And uh, yeah, nobody can silence us. And I really appreciate you all. I think so. also what's going to make the stories even more powerful is if we start listening to stories from Muslim girls being raised up here in Europe and in the West, because they're also not really free. They're under the pressure Absolutely. of the family again. We have Turkish families here who still chooses a wife from the village for the, for the man or for the, for the son. In Germany, this is the fifth generation yep. living here, integrated, German passports. They don't even speak Turkish. He would bring the wife from the village because she's a virgin, of course. And some of them, I mean, some uh, some Turkish women here, Muslim women, they're also forced to still live in the house as if it was in Istanbul. Once she goes out of, the school, of, of her house, then she has to stay again, live that fake life. I used to live in Yemen. I am oh. shocked that this is happening here in the West yes. and the government is not doing anything. It's like, that's the family, that's their tradition. Even with the, with um, uh, on, honor killing, we have some issues happening here, like crimes as well from Afghani or Pakistani students. They were, they brought their sisters here to study and they saw her with a guy, he stabbed her. Such stories, we hear them every two, three months here in Germany. And then you never hear what did they do to the guy? The family shipped him very fast home 
And then the German government would sit and be like, yeah, well, it's part of the religion. No, it's not. I think people should talk here who mm-hmm. are living here in Europe, in the West, because I hear also sad stories in the US. Yemeni girls are being married between the Yemeni society. They're capsulated. They're not integrated. They are living in their own world in the West. And Sometimes on Clubhouse or in Twitter spaces, mm-hmm. when I hear the uh, ex-Muslims who are come who come from the Muslim countries are even more open and more ready to change and become flexible <laughs> than the Muslim people living yeah, in because Germany. we ran away from and that shithole. I call in, it a shithole. It's a shithole world. And, and the, then I come here. The free we come to the free world, right? Like you were talking about, you come to here and you see women are not covered. People are, you know. Uh, mixed with each other like men and women are mixed and then and then I see the western you're right the Muslim westerns are more extreme than the people coming from outside I grew up you know outside and I come here and you're right these girls we need to empower them because I think the fear is real and the fear I've seen when I came here I remember high school children here born here raised here never been in Somalia she was married, child was married. I think she was like 17, married an older man. And I'm just like, I ran away from that shit, you know? Why is she, you know, but it's the control, right? It's the pressure. The control within the community. also uh, to preserve their identity. They're always discussing with, oh, I have to prove that I'm an Arab, I'm a Yemeni. I have to mm-hmm. keep that identity to me, even if I'm in the West. Yeah, okay, no problem. You can be a Yemeni, you can keep the traditions but you can't treat your kids the same way because they go to the same school with their peers, mm-hmm. the German ones. They go to mm-hmm. school and they're not allowed to go to the activities after school. Yeah. So yeah. you're discriminating them here in Europe and nobody, and the teachers, they can't force the families. And, and you know, when I called that situation like that, um, um, I was called Islamophobe yeah. within the Western people, educator, because I'm in the education system. So I was called, I was being Islamophobic and it's just my culture. You just thinking maybe you grew up. No, children who are growing up in the USA and here, Somali children are United citizens are taking overseas to Kenya and being done horrifying practice, female genital mutilation, these little girls, you know, and it need to. And when I talk about that things, I've been called, um, I didn't call Islamophobe. And also I was the scary part. I know you were talking about brotherhood or something like that, uh, the brotherhood. So I was in a university uh, conference and I was, uh, I think that time it was 20, probably 2018 or something. I was still wearing the hijab. And then this dude, uh, these brotherhood people came to educate the Western because the Western are being brainwashed with the with the Islam, the religion of peace. No, it's not, you know? And so he was telling about uh, people like Ayan Hirsi Ali. Uh, I don't think Yasmin was in it, but other, other people, other ex-Muslim, how horrible they are. And they're the one who created Islamophobe. And that was the first time I heard that word. This is 2017 or 18, I believe. And then I raised my hand and, and I was the only brown whatever i fit all their dis- stupid description which i don't like it just take the freaking card leave me freaking alone i don't need the card but i fit their description i am a i migrated this country i came to america without speaking no word of english i made myself something i'm the american dream the product of the american dream <laughs> i am you know i fit all the shit things they throw all the words you know the stupid words 
And then I raised my hand. I was the only hijabi woman in, in that room. Like, so like, it was like, I think like 50 people. I was sitting in the front of the, in the front of the, uh, the dude who was speaking, brainwashing these people, not challenging him. So I just wanted him to, you know, more in, like, just enlighten me what he was talking about, about Ayan Hirsi. He said, Ayan Hirsi is horrible and she's Islamophobe and she's a racist. And then I'm like, okay, dude, you, so I raised my hand. He dismissed me. I was the only hijab, brown, whatever, sitting in the front of the whatever, literally. And he dismissed me. These people are in university, in education, sadly, whatever, Democrat and Republican, they both side, both party, brainwashing what Islam is, not changing their own community. Don't want to talk about little girls being cut every day. Don't want to talk about the wife beating and so horrible other things is happening within the community. So these are the things I call out when I was, you know, still wearing hijab and I was called Islamophobe. And that was the word. I, I just don't see this word is to silent people. There is no Islam. is not a freaking race. It's an ideology. It's not a race. And we need to keep calling it. And that's why I wrote the letter. So, yeah. So I, I really, I, I really appreciate you all. Sorry, I, I rant, I rant a lot, okay. but it's I'm okay. passionate about this no because I'm afraid um, if we stay silent and we don't speak and um, America and Western world, the free world is going to become the shithole we came from. So we need to be courageous and keep speaking. I said, no, you're not going to put me in a box. I escape from box. Mm. You're not putting me in a box. And speaking about identity, I gave away my card. I told them, just take the freaking card, which is the Somali card or whatever, the black card or whatever they call it. Just take the card. I don't need it. I'm an individual before any card or labels. I'm a human being. I'm Sahara the free. Leave me freaking alone. So let's just keep speaking. And I'm proud of you, all of you and love and peace. Thank you. Thank you. You This is so powerful. (laughs) That was beautiful. Thank you, Sahara. I just wanted to say, I know we're really far in the time, but going back to what the two of you guys were talking about with um, here in the West, how people here are even more zealous than those that are back home in Yemen and Egypt and Somalia and whatever. Um, I absolutely agree with that. And I do want to touch on how the West is failing kids like me who are growing up in those families and who are feeling suffocated and who are being forced to be ambassadors of Islam because you don't really get forced to be an ambassador of Islam when you're in a country of 90% Muslims. But when you're in a very small community of Muslims, you're, you're, there's this constant pressure on you that you have to make Islam look good. So you have to be like this perfect little Muslim child. Um, Oh yeah, Aliyah, you can back me up on this because you also grew up in the States. Um, They're failing us so many times because I can tell you when my family went to my high school to tell them that I need to be taken out of physical education classes because I might lose my virginity, even though According to the ministry, I need to have physical education in order to graduate from high school. Like my school at that point could have said, no, sorry, if she doesn't do PE, 
then she doesn't get to graduate. These are the rules. But we never put our foot down in the West. You know, when parents come to the schools and they say, in this cafeteria that is here for all the children, we don't want to ever see any bacon or ham or any kind of pork products ever again. And what does the school say? Yes, of course, whatever you desire. Oh, and we want a, a classroom that is dedicated as a prayer room for our kids. Oh, absolutely, of course, no problem. They just capitulate. They're just these flaccid, useless, allowing themselves to get bullied, allowing themselves to get pushed over, over and over and over and over again. And what Sahara was saying there was so true. The reason why we get so upset and we get so angry and we get so terrified when we see that happening is because we know what the what their end goal is. You talked about it with Sila at the very beginning. It's our responsibility as Muslims to make everybody in the world Muslim. Right. That's what they're trying to do. And the West is so. I think it's a combination of arrogance and ignorance, which is a really toxic combination. But they really feel like, oh, they're not going to get one over on us. Oh, sure. We'll let them have their prayer rooms. Oh, sure. We'll let them have their halal meat. Oh, sure. We'll let them have this and this and this and this and this. They're never going to stop. They're never going to stop. They're going to keep on going. They think that at some point, Muslims are going to be like, I love America. I love the West. Look how nice they are. They're never going to fucking say that. That's never going to happen. They're always going to hate you. They're always going to push. And, and there's this is a, an equation. Like it can only go in one way. You know, like if you don't stand up for your values and you say, these are our laws these are our values. This is what we believe in. And if you don't like it, then you don't have to live here. You know, when I was living in Qatar, when I was teaching in Qatar during Ramadan, I wasn't allowed to drink water in the desert. They tell me what to wear. They tell me where to live. They tell me like what I can eat they, they, and what I can drink. There was no pork products in the country because they didn't want them in there. There's one fucking liquor store. And again, like you said, you have to show your passport so you can get liquor. Like they dictated everything. And then when they go to other people's and they're like, if you don't like it, leave. That's their attitude to us. But then they come to the West and they want everything catered to them. And instead of the West drawing boundaries, even upholding their own laws, they can't even uphold their own laws. The judge told me, you have to go back to this family that tortures you. I described the torture that was happening in my family. And the judge said, eh, it's your culture. You know, like they're failing their own. They're not just failing me and kids like me. They're failing themselves. Like why, what is Western civilization? Why do you exist? What is democracy? What is liberty? What is freedom? Who are you? Like they just completely... I mean, that's the whole subtitle of my book, right? How Western liberals empower radical Islam. Like, it's it's just so frustrating to me how they don't recognize the threat or they're too arrogant 
it's to almost cowardice. It's it's really cowardness. As it's, um, I'm gonna tell a small, really short story. Maybe we're talking too long. Today. I ranted so too. We're all ranting today. <laughs> um, I'm working as a social counselor and event manager at the university in Germany, in Dortmund. And uh, there was a, a room in the university. It's called the quiet room, where people could go. Maybe students with kids could go and uh, breastfeed the the kids or it's just for women and there's another one like for everyone or if you want to pray or if you want to meditate. So when I started working there, one year later, my boss came to me and she was like, yeah, there are some complaints about this uh, room, about this uh, quiet room. Could you see what's the issue? So I called and I was talking to the people there and there were German employees working in that in that building. And they were telling me that the Muslims have spread their uh, their um, mats where to pray on on this room. It's like our territory and they never take it off. So with time, people started to open this room. Oh, it's a mosque. They go out. See, so people started like, okay, I need to just sleep for five minutes or I need to lay down or I need to read in peace or all this quiet. What the point of this quiet room was actually. When you read about it on the internet, it says everyone who needs a piece or just half an hour time, go to this room. You go in real life and you see this mat. And uh, slowly, slowly, they started holding lectures in this quiet room, whatever they were holding there. So I talked to the boss of the university, like a higher boss, and I was like, this is scary. Uh, me as a Muslim woman, I can tell you now that these lectures are brewing some terrorism inside there or maybe in trying to convince people of other stuff um if you want this university to stay safe i would like i i i ask you or friendly to bring it back to the to its real issue to its real role as a quiet room for everyone because now it's just limited for one group of students Mm -hmm. and this is not equality and this is not blah blah that you're selling us the west that is selling us about equality and freedom of my of of the expression and freedom of practicing your religion what about the buddhists in in our university what about the christians in our university why are we giving only the muslims this room oh really this is happening he didn't even know so we raised a big complaint we closed the room and you can't imagine all these muslim people started coming to me as in like in my office hours like um can we understand why and it came from your office the i'm like yeah well if you want to pray the mosque is like literally 10 minutes a walk from the university 10 minutes we have a, a mosque like a small one in a neighborhood uh, street you could just go there you will even god will if you give, even give you more hasanat because you walked to the mosque you know <laughs> so i'm talking their language selling them their religion to go to the fucking mosque instead of destroying the whole idea of the of the of the quiet room and uh, yeah i succeeded and now the room is not a mosque anymore and um, my boss is thanking me every day he's just like oh my god nobody all these years we I'm like so you waited for a Muslim woman mm-hmm. to come from Yemen to come and convince the the the, the, the management of do. the big university yeah. we're one of the biggest technical universities and they were scared the employees outside this room they have a room for um, it's like student committee and it's like a separate building and the employees there they were scared of the Muslim students who came and prayed in this room and started holding their because lectures they're bullies 
Why are you scared? Yeah, because we don't want to be called Islamophobes. Mm. But you, as a Muslim, you can criticize them and you can do that. So it's our job to even fix things even in the in the West. Mm. It's crazy. Yeah. Can I say one more thing? Um, Jasmine and... Yeah, of course. Yeah, I think it is the hypocrisy. Because, you know, they said uh, separate uh, church and religion and, you know, like from government. But Islam is creeping in, in, in you know, and they teach in, um, I think if you're going to teach religion, then you need to teach all the religion or you need to stop, you know, just giving pass. Because I I really experienced, you know, I went to the university I went and then, you know, I am in the education. They teach in Islam but they're not allowed to teach Christianity. They're not allowed to teach other religions, but you can teach about hijab and you can teach about how Islam is a religion of peace. And, and you know, the hypocrisy and the devil standards, this ideology of Islam, you know, it has it literally, I feel like it has a power on the West. Like, you know, it gets away whatever it wants. Uh, it, it validates human rights, basic human rights, children's, you know, women's. And, and it's just people are afraid to call out this ideology because people conflate the ideology and the people. Literally, there are people who think Islam is a race. No, Islam yeah. is an ideology, just like Christianity. I think they're scared. Like, what's a Christian going to do? Threaten to pray for you? Right? A Christian's not going to, what's a Christian? But they know what the Muslims do, right? They stab people randomly in the streets. They put a suicide vest on. They behead teachers, right? So this is, it's it's a real fear. But when somebody is is threatening you like that and is is bullying you like that, the response is not to capitulate. Yeah. 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 And I think that's why we come in and we need to just keep speaking. And, you know, and that's the, why- um, yeah, Ilhan Omar, the platform, the thing she gets away, the anti-Semitic, you know, the things she says. But then if, if you everybody should be called out, you know, and she gets away so many things now just disgust, you know, very disgusting and so disappointing in America right now, this country that I love even just passing the pill, the, the Islamophobe bill, you know, in the house is, is gross. People need to wake up. People need to, if you're going to get rid of religion in, you know, in government, why are you giving Islam a pass? Why is it Islam? Why is it Islam untouchable? You know, and we need to call it out. And it's, 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 it's the hypocrisy is the freedom of religion, you know, and this stupid multiple, multicultural word that word they use and it's not like motto or diversity of thoughts it's only diversity of one way of thinking because I came from you know I grew up in and I we all have a story but I said you know I have a story and I came this country and and I want to tell my story and but I am not oppressed in America I'm being you know oppressed my own some my own people and they told me oh no we don't want to hear your story because you've been Islamophobe you know so we need to call these people out and, and, and just keep speaking. And it's the hypocrisy allowing other people to, you know, go. Um, if you want to pray, go pray. But if you're going to do the same thing, if you're going to teach religion, then you need to make it okay, all of it. Otherwise, stop teaching them. 
Thank I don't you. know how is it in, in the US, but I could only speak for Germany. I the country that I know. Um, I could say, yes, there is a freedom of religion for everyone. We don't teach Islam or any uh, other religion than Christianity in schools from first grade, but uh, you can always choose as a parent to say, no, I don't want my child to join the religion hour. And then they would put them in a creative hour where they can draw or start some other other activities. So you always have the choice, which I think it's good. So if they're going to teach other religions as well, I think um, it's an education system thing, like the hours of the school. So you would go to the curricula, but I would give them uh, the like, of course, it's your Christian country. They have to to teach Christian religion if they want, fine. But they always give us the freedom to choose not to join these religion um, classes, which is okay. Um, I'm with everyone. If you want to go to the mosque, if you want to spend nights in the church, if you want to stand in the synagogue and hit your head against the wall, I don't care as long as nobody involves his business in our business and just live and let live. And that's the problem also with Europe. Live and let live is not an option anymore because they're involving themselves, but then they're not involved any anymore. Like they, they don't get involved when it comes to a caricature of Muhammad. And then they're like, oh my God, we did a mistake. So we have to apologize like France did. Um, I mean, Germany still apologizes for for um, the Holocaust, or even the generations that had nothing to do with it. It's, again, I would say politics also. We can't forget also that political influence does play a role in these freedom, in these little issues that we discuss. It's not just human rights. It's not just spirituality. It's not just, um, yeah, manners and traditions. It's politics as well. So, yeah, as uh, Erkan said in the chat, he would <laughs> like this group would form a government <laughs> would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's why I don't really know a lot of politics. Yeah, like, I don't really get involved, but I always feel it always ends up to that. It, wherever yeah. you go, it always ends up to that. And that's why the Islamists are, they use politics so much. You're talking about the, the Muslim Brotherhood in your university. They have Muslim student associations run by Ikhwan and other Islamists throughout all universities throughout the West. They're like representatives in every state, um, in every province in Canada. It, they're all over because they know that, that um, how important politics is. Okay, before we wrap up, I just want to make sure that everybody who wanted to ask something of Wasila that has a chance to ask her. I saw Aliyah's hand go up. Oh, looks like. Did yeah. you want to say anything? It's really hard to hear you, Aliyah. Can you go closer to your microphone? Can Can you say? better. I now? can't hear her. Now? Yes. Yes. Oh. Oh, not anymore. <laughs> we lost now? you. Yes. Now. Stay yes. like now. that. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna be very, very self. So, you know, I was just gonna say that, you know, especially being from the West, get hit from all sides. Um, you know, especially when, when in this fight, when we speak about Islam, it looks like you guys 
I can't hear anything. No. You might want to type it out. Yeah, She's maybe. breaking. Like, I can't hear it, too. You can't hear it. Okay. Last slide. Can you hear me now? No. No. You come and go. Like, you're clear Hello. first. Yep. Yes. No. <laughs> All right. That's good. Now talk. Okay, so now can, can you guys hear me now? I mean, we hear you and yep. then you like dwindle away. So I don't know what's going on. We and just hear like, now. We just yeah. hear now and that's it. So maybe don't say now. Just <laughs> Yeah. That's the word. That's that's what brings so the gin into your microphone. Aliyah. Aliyah, that's, no, no. That's the curse. Aliyah. Aliyah. Can you yeah. say no, no to Momo? It's gonna work. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, no to Momo. <laughs> no, maybe you should just no. type it. It's okay. really hard. Okay. Um, I don't know what is going on with with my. Now laptop, your voice but, is clear. Yeah. Just talk. Okay, okay, now you're good. Yeah. So you know, I was I was just gonna say, you know, for people like us in the West here, it's even more draining because we get hit from all sides. Mm -hmm. from all sides, the left, the right, the center, whatever it is. And going back to the World Hijab Day, you know, imagine the outrage if we went out for No Hijab Day and we told Muslim women who wear the hijab, oh, you know, do you just want to take the hijab off and see how empowering that is? How imagine the outrage, the, you know, the hate that we would get, the threats that we would get, you know, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's the hypocrisy. It's totally the hypocrisy. You know, we coddle, we coddle Islam so much. Um, it is a problem. Um, the campaign, let us talk. I remember that I sent a Twitter message to Messi because she was speaking about how, you know, we are the women of the Middle East. And I messaged her and, and I said, if you are, you know, um, if you are campaigning here um, in the West, you have to include, you know, we, people from the West and a lot of Muslims, you know, they, they are not Middle Eastern. So, you know, if you want us to speak, you have to include all the voices here in the West as well. Um, we are even more silenced um, because we get, you know, our own homes, our own families become the Islamic state. You know, we fear our own families. Um, Sahara and I, we have Twitter spaces, um, silenced voices uh, in Islam. And I can't tell you that there are grown women, 27 years old, 30 years old, who cannot tell their families that they have stopped wearing the hijab. So they continue living, you know, these, you know, these double lives. It's really, really heartbreaking. What is it? We all come from all around the world, right? To different cultures. But what is it? that we share. What is the common denominator? It is Islam and fear that is, you know, that is related, that is associated with Islam is very real. It's very rational. It is not irrational. Yeah. Uh, that's all I wanted to say. And it's very important guys to take a step back because I do get, I do sometimes, you know, get really, really depressed really, really sad, really, really, you know, because it seems like here in the West, a lot of people don't want to hear us. They would rather us, you know, just shut up and just, you know, go along with it. And, you know, 
when when my post so my Facebook is very very personal it it only has a lot of people you know who I personally know when I see that my coffee cup picture gets so many freaking reactions and likes and comments and my Islam posts get like barely any reaction mm. it really makes me feel sad but you know I, I I continue I continue speaking out because hey I'm still getting hurt I'm still getting they might have not reacted but but they're seeing and they're learning um you know we must take a step back when it gets too much and then come come back in yeah that's all i wanted to say thank you i used to get pissed also and really sad and sometimes hurt about some comments i hear from people criticizing my posts or uh, my comment if i want to defend homosexuals i would be like they would be like, you're not a homosexual, you're a lesbian. I'm like, no, I'm not just defending them because I'm a homosexual. And so uh, at some point, I just feel that this, these voices are just frustrated. People uh, expressing their frustration on us because they can't talk and they hate people who talk and um, they fear also to talk. I don't excuse them, of course, but I became more patient with them maybe it's about time maybe it's time because I heard I was cyberly attacked so many times and uh, online attacked so many times until also the no hijab day I had inbox messages dm from people I don't know telling me that it's a lost battle and hijab will stay until the end of the the world I'm like yeah fine I didn't say burn it I just said one day for me I didn't force anyone to take off the hijab. You can wear it. You can wear it. The whole family can wear it. What's the point? I'm not, it's not a battle. And um, at some point, I just really, I, I don't let it disturb my peace. I just learned how to protect my energy from such comments because they really can give you sleepless nights. They really can. Some people are really harsh with their words and so hostile and so some point you're like oh my god good that you're living in some village in i don't know where uh or some city across the world you know not my neighbor because from your comment i can i can sense that you will kill me or you know and this fear like online fear digital fear it's even worse i feel but at some point as i said i grew <laughs> out of it and but it's it's really hard it's it's really hard to live yeah yeah, you get desensitized to messages from random strangers, but it's tough, like what Aliyah was saying, when it's your Facebook friends yes, um, yes. and people that you thought cared about you and people that you care about, and then they are also too afraid to be your ally publicly. Um, yeah. Or worse, they attack you you know or they talk comments like oh so you forgot your religion now oh yeah. just because you're married to a german guy oh because and some of them like they would give me comments like oh you're you're crazy always we don't take you serious anymore you were always like that and, like ridiculing your your case and yeah belittling you yes gaslighting yeah so, Wasila, I wanted to make sure that you had a chance to say everything that you wanted to say before we wrap up, that there wasn't anything that you wanted to talk about that you didn't have a chance I, to, to talk no, about. I, 
I talked about everything. I talked about more things than I expected, actually. And uh, yeah, I'm really, really happy and grateful for this opportunity and that um, many of you were interested and didn't leave the room five minutes later. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, um, I wasn't sure that my story or my, I mean, it's not, it's a kind of story uh, is not um, that attractive or that sad that I would sell it but um <laughs> i thought every story is worth it and everyone i mean all what made us i mean what is humanity it's just stories 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 from people to people even religion is stories so and every story is important and i thought i got so um I related with a lot of girls that you and women who you invited and also by you, of course, by your book, who made me cry more than enjoy. I mean, I enjoyed it, but I cried so much. <laughs> I hated that, but I cried. And um, yeah, so I was really, I wasn't, I was so nervous, but then I was like, I'm just going to talk. Let's see what happens. So I'm That's really wonderful. happy that it, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry that it took too long, but no, I'm great. happy that it took too long as well. It shows that it's, uh, it was interesting for many of you and I'm really, really grateful for this opportunity. So thank you so much, Yasmin. Thank you so much. And I'm really grateful for you for coming and sharing your story. It takes a lot of courage, um, but I agree with you. I think that focusing on our humanity and telling our stories that can, you know, we get into people's hearts and minds. I think sometimes a lot more than, um, you know, just giving them facts and figures and data and proof and evidence and this and that, like, just remember, you know, I think when people listen to your story, they hear your voice, they, you know, it, like somebody mentioned, like you're, you're so honest and real and it's just so pure when you're telling your story that you can't help but feel so connected to everything that you're talking about. And I think they forget that about us. They forget that we're just human beings, just like them. And they, they need to be reminded that we all desire our freedom and our autonomy and our individualism and it, it goes even it. deeper like when even when you tell your story you're actually working on your trauma like I feel like all these traumas and yes. all these insecurities once you talk about them and you're like in a secure space and you're actually accepting it you're healing it uh, mm -hmm. at the same time so I'm, I'm really thankful that you gave me this opportunity to heal with you and with everyone here listening and to um, make society accountable account like to be accountable for their its actions towards me and how I was treated and raised up so it's it's part of my healing uh, telling a story it's very very important I love it I'm so glad to be a part of that thank you again Wasila and thank you everybody for joining us here today and thank you for everybody who is watching the recording Take care, all of you. Have a wonderful night. Thank you.